Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. I have two wonderful guests today. Both are returning from previous episodes of the show and both are blood drunk hunters. First up, we have Yarnum Coffin Baron Moonborn. Hello. Good to have you back, Moon. Yeah, it's good to be back. And we are also joined today by Jake Anderson, who is breaking out of his walking sim typecasting. Congratulations, Jake. I'm so happy for you. Wait, Bloodborne isn't a walking sim? I played it way wrong. Well, you do a lot of walking, so (laughs) we may have to reevaluate what genre this game is. (laughs) But first, gentlemen, before we start, we have to do a contract. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) I wasn't told about this ahead of time. Wait, what are, what, are, what, are the, what, are the, what are these little gremlins crawling up my leg? Oh, no. <laughs> and today we are going to be talking about Bloodborne, which is an action role-playing game developed by From Software and published by Sony in 2015. The elevator pitch for Bloodborne, if you've never played it, is Dark Souls-ish combat, but super stylish and fast in a gothic Victorian horror setting. This is a long elevator ride. Sound right to you guys? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. But before we get into Bloodborne, we always start the show with a little warm-up discussion about what we've been playing recently. So, guys, uh, I will kick to Moon first. What have you been playing recently? Um, I am a, I am on a doomed uh, marathon to try to replay all the Soulsborns before Elden Ring releases uh, late next month. So uh, I've been playing a lot of Dark Souls Remastered recently. Um. I'm playing a lot of uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin, which is a lovely brawler farming sim hybrid that I love a lot. I've been, it's pretty long, so I've been slowly piecemealing that as well. Okay, sweet. Yeah, uh, we've, well, we had the Dark Souls episode that aired on this show by the time people are hearing this. Um, tell people about Sakuna, because I know you've been playing that for a long time and you you really enjoy that. And I feel like that's a game that, I know I haven't mentioned on the show, so maybe a lot of people aren't super aware of what that game's all about or what makes okay. it good. Yeah. Okay. So it's a um, it is a game that is rooted in like I guess feudal Japanese mythology about a you know about a Japanese goddess of goddess of harvest who um commits a very uh, MCU Thor like sin and gets damned to you know the lower realm you know, to, to live with humans. And she has to atone for her sins by gr- by growing a rice farm to make up for all the rice that, you know, she's robbed of the goddess she's supposed to supply as a bounty. And it's, in, in mechanically, it is equal parts a 2D brawler, kind of like, you know, a Vanillaware game, you know, kind of like, um, uh, shoot, I feel, I feel dumb, I forget their names all of a sudden, um, like like Mur- Muramasa the Demon Blade, it's kind of it's a little bit like that in terms of combat, but the other half of it is and forgive me if I'm making a bad comparison because I don't really play Sims at all, but kind of like a Harvest Moon style farming sim on the opposite half of it, and these two halves of the game kind of form a feedback loop where you go on your hunting, your brawling to collect ingredients and hunt animals and you know, the like, so that you can make food at home and grow rice. And then, you know, you grow the rice 
and the food at home so that you can, you know, in turn become more powerful. It's it's an it's an RPG in that respect where the RPG side of the rice farming makes you stronger so that you can hunt more, which allows you to, you know, gather more for rice. And it's got a pretty lovely story, um, gorgeous visual style. Um, the characters are much more well-written than they have any right to be in this kind of game. It's uh, This is the kind of thing that makes people doubt, but it's less of a... On paper, it sounds like it would be like very anime, but it's less of an anime game and more of like a Japanese mythology game, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if you're... If you're if you're you know if you're if you're the kind of person who's worried that a character's going to like freak out and start speaking at a million miles a minute while a chippy face happens like that doesn't happen in this game it's not <laughs> okay. that kind of thing it, it carries itself with a nothing wrong with those kinds of games or that kind of style but it carries itself with just a little bit more like i guess self reverence you know what i mean so, yeah gotcha yeah cool. I, I love it a whole lot it's one of my favorite games of the year it came out i believe it was like 2020 when it came out it was in development hell for like 7 years it was kind of crazy yeah, and I saw you've been uh, putting your playthroughs up on your YouTube channel, right? That, that is game? correct, yes. Yeah, cool. So if uh, if you want people to go look at those, I'll I'll link those um, <laughs> those playthrough yes, videos. Yes, please. I'll 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 send you links later. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that uh, I I know that like you've spoken highly of it, and when it first came out, a lot of uh, like YouTube reviewers were talking about it. But I'm kind of allergic to like farming sim and like crafting based games so i just kind of mm-hmm. like put it aside that's just my preferences but yeah glad uh glad you're enjoying it for sure yeah it's a great time yeah and uh jake dude what have you been playing um the main thing i've been playing lately has probably been ghost of tsushima and oh, yeah. absolutely loving it mm-hmm. and even got um bloodborne armor in it a little Call out to Bloodborne exists in that game on the DLC island, which is fun. Oh yeah, um, I've dipped a little bit into Bloodborne just to play it, you know, before doing the show, but didn't do a whole ton. And then I've also just on the side been playing uh, both Neo and Neo Two because they're fun. One of them's on my laptop, one of them's on the PS Five. So depending on what's available, I just you know people are using the TV. I play Neo One on the laptop. If no one's using the TV, I either play Ghost or Neo Two on that. <laughs> playing Those two neo games, games concurrently yeah because i'm just because i've played both of them quite a bit before so it's oh, just okay. like i'm in the mood for that type of action and loot loop and so if the tv's being used i at least have you know neo one on on the laptop so i can kind of feed that need that i have right now yeah for sure seven plus minutes in and we're ready on that sicko nonsense neo one and two at the same time yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's how i do things i'm terrible at finishing games or playing games in any sort of like focused way for the most part <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's we've had some sicko like gamer behavior on the show before but playing both neo games at the same time uh is is up there in the sicko rankings for sure but i definitely know what you mean like about wanting a particular kind of game and like you know you want that kind of action or that kind of loop and like kind of like moon with uh replaying dark souls um i got the big like you know i want to have action combat recently i got a big itch for that and so i've been playing through um dark souls well i started dark souls 2 and i was like this isn't exactly what i want and then i started dark souls 3 again so, like, I definitely know, like, you need that 
particular thing, you got to find the right game for it. So as we get ready for Elden Ring, we're recording this about a month before Elden Ring comes out. It's This episode will be out after Elden Ring releases. But um, I was definitely like, I need something in that vein to kind of like get me up for it. And Dark Souls 3 happened to be exactly what I want to play. Uh, so yeah, definitely get that. And I'm not playing both of them at the same time, so I am not. <laughs> sure you are. <laughs> oh, I've I've bounced between Dark Souls 1, 2, and 3 before. <laughs> yeah. Just playing kind of all of them. Yeah. Well, if it makes you boys feel better, I, uh, I am kind of dabbling in yet another Devil May Cry 3 replay and, um, and Astral Chain at the same time, which isn't quite the same thing, not the same series, but you yeah. know, but some yeah. of the same, some of the same people, same legacy. So it's kind yep. of the same, you know, <laughs> so if you want if you want me to be on your sicko train, I can, you know, so yeah, <laughs> cool. So, uh, let's see, what do you guys say we get into talking about Bloodborne? Let's do it. Yes. Right. So talking about Bloodborne and the spoiler wall is in effect for this episode, just like most episodes of the show. Bloodborne has a story. Uh, I actually think that Bloodborne has a more, you know, um, beginning, middle and end story story. Not like directly while you're playing, but there is like a more complete story, in my opinion, for you to uncover. So we'll save story talk until the spoiler section. And then anytime we talk about a game that has like really interesting levels or interesting boss fights that you should experience for yourself, we'll save those for the spoiler section as well. So we always begin the show by talking about our histories with the game and uh, what got us interested in playing, when did we first play it, and things like that. So we are going to start with Moonborn because it's half of your um, name here. What got you interested in playing Bloodborne for the first time? Well, for one, that was supposed to be a secret, so thanks. But uh, <laughs> You said it on the but, last uh, show. You said it. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, two, um, uh, my Bloodborne is, the short of it is that Bloodborne is ultimately the first Soulsborne or Souls-like game I actually got into. I did previously try the original dark souls like it was like maybe three or four maybe like three years prior i um i very much made the unoriginal mistake of going to the graveyard and getting mad and then returning the game Mm -hmm. um then i tried (laughs) demon souls got all the way to um got got all the way to fool's idol could not be here was basically stuck for like 16 hours in that game which is very funny in retrospect because I can beat Demon Souls in like sixteen hours now. <laughs> but um right. but you know, I was stuck there and you know, I was like, man, I, this is really hard, but man, I really, really, really like this setting with the I really like this setting with bells and darkness and tentacles and screaming people. And then when I got my PS4 the following year, this was twenty sixteen, um just because uh 
shout out to, uh, I guess, uh, James Stephanie Sterling and the buddies on their podcast. They were talking about Bloodborne incessantly when it came out. Like for and it, like for a good year, they were talking about it, and I was like, I guess I got to try this. So you know, I bought my PS4. There was a buy three get two deal, so I bought uh, Batman Arkham City, uh, the Bad Devil May Cry reboot, and Bloodborne. Not expecting Bloodborne to be the one I got addicted to, but I did. And I was like almost instantly hooked on basically the entirety of Tower of Latria, you know, expanded to being a game, basically, uh-huh. <laughs> entirely. Yeah. And it was all downhill. It was, you know, well, not not all downhill. Not, that 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 sounds damning. All down, not all downhill from there, but it, it. But you know, I went I went to marathon the entire rest of the series after that, and you know, Bloodborne is still not only my favorite Soulsborne, it is my favorite video game of all time. Like, and I don't expect that to change anytime soon. Right on, Jake. How about you? Yeah, so I had bounced off Dark Souls one, uh, bounced off Dark Souls two. Uh, I I liked the idea of the games for sure, and I I just couldn't get into it. It just wasn't working for me. I couldn't wrap my head around the like slow, methodical pacing and everything like that. And then it was like in 2017. I went back and checked my trophies for like my first Bloodborne trophy. I was like, okay, it was February 2017, so that was when I started playing it. But um. What actually got me to give it a try was I had started getting the itch for something difficult, and I'm like, I've bounced off Dark Souls 1, I've bounced off Dark Souls 2. Neo was new at the time, so I went and picked that up, and I was getting the hang of kind of the the difficult, it's okay to die, all that type of stuff. But I was like, but I keep hearing about Bloodborne, it's at the top of like every best game to get on your PS4. Uh... And so I took a break from Neo, picked that up, and kind of like Moon said, I just, you know, that was it. I was hooked. I was sucked in, and I just played it relentlessly and absolutely loved it. Yeah, I I have a very similar, like, kind of thing there where when I, I saw I played Dark Souls, but I actually really loved Dark Souls the first time I played it. Uh, people can listen to the Dark Souls episode of the show. You'll get my story on that. But I I bounced off halfway, well, maybe a quarter of the way through Dark Souls at Capra Demon. That was my bounce off <laughs> point the first time. But then I went back and I really loved it. And I actually bounced off of Dark Souls 2 uh, when it released because of the Ruins uh, Sentinel fight, uh, which I think sucked. Uh, and... So, like, I didn't really think about Dark Souls. When Dark Souls 3 came out, I didn't even know it came out, like, at all. I I was not paying attention to games at the time. And uh, so, like, I never had a PlayStation until I got a PS4 in, like, 2019. So I didn't know that Bloodborne existed uh, until I got the PS4. I started looking at those lists, you know, like, oh, hello, you new person with a PS4. Here are the best PS4 exclusives uh, to play. And in 2019, it was, you know, stuff like God of War and Uncharted and all of these things like that I wanted to catch up on. But Bloodborne was always like at the top. It was like, hey, Uncharted, that's cool. You know, Uh, God of War, good game, very good game. But Bloodborne's number one on all of these lists. Persona 5 also on those lists. And so I was like, well, fuck, I guess I got to 
play Bloodborne if literally everyone says it's the best one. Um, and that really, just like you guys, I fell in love with Bloodborne almost immediately. And then it sparked my like interest in the Dark Souls series and stuff. So I played through all three of the Dark Souls games uh, after I beat Bloodborne, like again, replayed some of them and stuff like that. And uh, then totally like I'm a from software convert now, like I played Sekiro as soon as I could. I uh, played the Demon Souls remake. That was the first thing I played when I got a PS5. It was m- most of the reason I wanted a PS5. So when people ask like, what's your favorite game? If you know, if you say, Hey, I do a podcast about video games, which is not information I just throw out there freely. But like when it does come up, people are like, what's your favorite game? And I'm like, Oh, it's, it's probably bloodborne. Like this is a, it's a weird question to answer, but like, it's the first game that pops up into my head. I really, really love this game. So all three of us are huge Bloodborne fans. Uh, the game is not perfect, which I'm sure we'll get into throughout the course of the episode, but uh, it's good to have three uh, Bloodborne fans on the show for this episode. Uh, just for people who are curious about how long it takes to play Bloodborne, it took me 58 hours, my first playthrough, that includes the DLC, and uh, I replayed it back in October because I don't play scary horror horror games but i did want to play bloodborne in october and it took 35 hours my second time so like playing it for the second time that play time does go down but it's not a short game as none of the you know from dark souls 2 onwards none of those games are really short short so yeah do you guys remember like um maybe maybe your first or second time Maybe not if you've replayed it like 10 times, but how, how long did it take you guys to play? Um, if I may go first, if that's okay, I guess. Um, I remember checking it, and this was with a full playthrough, including the DLC, because you know, I, I played it after that came out. Um, the, in, the in-game clock said 191 hours, and I was floored. In retrospect, <laughs> I'm pretty sure part of that is because it continues to count if you keep the game running and put it in sleep mode, which I did quite a bit of the time because when I was playing it, I was when I was playing that I did two things. I worked both of my shitty part-time jobs and I played Bloodborne and that was what I did. So like I would just have the PS4 running all day. Every time I had to get lunch or something like that, I would just leave the game running, put it in sleep mode, go do whatever, and then come back. So I'm mm-hmm. sure a significant portion of it was just that. But I did put tons of hours, and it probably took me way longer than a lot of other people because, like, every boss to wall boss to me because I was very new to this kind of thing. So. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know an exact, like, how many hours, but I know based off of like my trophies that like I said I had started it up in February and my first ending trophy was in May um okay. I did kind of bounce back and forth a little bit because Dark Souls 3 came out in that time and I was in such the mood and so like you said hooked on from software at that point that I was like oh, I got to try this now you know even though I was really into into Bloodborne I was like I got to check out Dark Souls 3 as well and uh I remember there was one week where my wife and the kids were like down in California visiting um, grandparents 
and I couldn't go because I needed to be working. I couldn't get the time off, and that's, like, all I did. I would play Bloodborne. Okay, no, I gotta play some Dark Souls 3. Okay, no, I gotta play some Bloodborne. Okay, no, I gotta... <laughs> just back and oh, forth, God, and then, again. you know, and then work. And then work. And that's, like, all I did um, for, like, a week. And then, you know, I eventually set Dark Souls 3 aside and just focused on Bloodborne and finally beat it through. But, I mean, I have a ton of characters on there. The one that I eventually beat the game with and went into New Game Plus and stuff has over 100 hours on it because I've just done a ton of random stuff and all that. I need to eventually go platinum it like I did Dark Souls 3, but I haven't gone through all those chalice dungeons yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about that for sure. So, uh getting into the game and talking about what makes Bloodborne special uh in the especially in the From Software series, the first thing you're going to notice when you play Bloodborne is that it looks different from a Dark Souls game. And frankly, it looks different from most uh action games, uh, anything that's not horror. Um, so Bloodborne has this kind of famous at this point, dark and, uh, gothic setting in the city of Yarnum. Um, the first thing I want to ask you guys, cause this game takes place at night. Uh, there are no areas. There's one area I can think of maybe two that take place in a like lit up area. And there's, there's story reasons two why it is right. that yeah. way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this game takes place in the dark. It's this like kind of horror-esque setting. But I want to ask you guys real quick. Do you guys find Bloodborne to be scary? I still get hit by the jump scares sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yes. Um, Like it's, it is a, I once heard an argument that's a lot more like classic horror than like modern horror. Just because like it's about like that constant sense of anxiety and even though I'm much more confident at the game, like I say that still gets me. Like I still do get freaked out. And because and it's because it's one of those, you know, weird things where because I'm paying attention for like every corner and all that, like, you know, I am much more high strung and likely to just kind of like jump because, you know, I heard you're not wanted here or whatever right around the corner. <laughs> something yep. to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree. I would consider it scary. Um I'm much more relaxed in general with these style of games now than I used to be, just because I've, I've put so many hours into them at this point. But the jump scares still get me sometimes, and it does have that sense of kind of creeping dread and weirdness going on. Uh, so I would, I would say it's scary. Yeah, so this is weird because, like, I've said several times on this show that I hate scary games, I don't watch scary movies. I don't like, and the thing that I especially don't like is jump scares. And in uh, there's certain games like uh, Bioshock, for example, has some jump scares, and I hate it so much. From soft games, Dark Souls, starting from probably starting from Demon Souls, if I'm remembering right, but they all have jump scares where enemies jump out from behind corners or bust through doors or something like that or drop down from above on top of you and like <laughs> those those jump scares give me a little like like that but it's not it doesn't feel the same to me and i don't really find bloodborne to be scary um even though the, there are people jumping out and we've we've all played you know multiple times so i half of those things i know there's an enemy right behind this bookcase here ready to jump out so 
I don't know. It's just an interesting thing. I wanted to ask you guys because I've been called out a few times for like saying that I hate jump scares, but these Dark Souls and Bloodborne games are full of jump scares uh, if you're not expecting it. But for some reason, it's more like atmospheric, like horror, the setting, the sound design lends to a lot of uh, horror stuff, you know, the... (laughs) Uh, in in Dark Souls 3, they have the same enemy uh, sound. When you kill some of the enemies, they do that kind of like gurgling, like when they die that the Bloodborne enemies do. And there's so much sound design that goes into that horror setting in Bloodborne that's really, really good. But And like the enemy designs are often horrific uh, or things that you see around the levels. But it's, I don't know, it just doesn't, it doesn't give me that same like, I can't go on feeling that I got when I was right. playing Soma or Firewatch, Jake, you know, so <laughs> Firewatch <laughs> that you heard it here on the show. Firewatch is scarier than Bloodborne. There we go. <laughs> okay. Um, if I might elaborate just a little bit further on your question about horror yeah. is that it definitely is about like the atmosphere and like a lot of the presentation, one thing that's relevant to me is that one of the reasons Bloodborne became my new favorite game of all time is because it scared it's it made me feel a certain way that I hadn't felt since I was 12 years old when I played Metroid Fusion for the first time where you know it was just this constant sense of dread like these dark areas this creepy music you know uh something you know a, a, you know the SAX or whatever could jump out could jump out to go after you at any moment it it was a very 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 specific kind of fear in you know the anxiety and the tension rather than like actually being scared even though I did have a couple like designs and things where i'm like oh god this is gonna bother me if i think about it when i go to sleep (laughs) but (laughs) but for the most part it really was just that kind of tension and that anxiety more than anything else caused by like just the constant like high pressure point more so like i did mention jump scares before but it's more about like that high pressure point that's constantly there especially that first playthrough than like any individual like you know oh yeah this gave me you know a scare you know in the quantifiable you know you know event that can be called a scare you know what i mean yeah exactly it's it's like it's that same level of tension while you're playing because of all the penalties for dying and how difficult it is those are there in all of the dark souls games and sekiro 2 in my opinion so like i don't I guess I'll say I don't find Bloodborne any scarier than I find, uh, you know, Dark Souls or, um, you know, Sekiro or something like that. So uh, one thing that kind of stands out visually, too, is that uh, you you get a lot of like, especially while you're in the city of Yarnum, you get a lot of these like really amazing uh, vistas with this this beautiful um, moon in the sky and this, uh, you know, orange uh, colored sky and look off in the distance and you see these these great um you know vistas with these buildings and churches and stuff like that and i i just feel like bloodborne has a lot of a lot more moments where you'll look out in the distance and the game gives you these um vista points too it, i just feel like bloodborne has a lot more of these moments where you'll look out and be like whoa this looks really fucking cool um I remember Dark Souls 3 has a few of those. And, you know, Majula in Dark Souls 2, of course, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, Bloodborne, I think, has more of those where you're looking out over this uh, vista and you're like, this looks incredible. And, like, the orange sky and stuff, it's it's very cool. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think in Bloodborne, more than like all the other ones combined, I would sometimes just stop and and look at the vistas. Um, or in Bloodborne, in the spot where you get the, uh, they do a monocular instead of binoculars, like you get in the Dark Souls games. <laughs> of course. Um, I think it was the <laughs> only one of the games where I immediately uh, equipped it and just started looking at everything around. I didn't do that in any of the other ones, but in Bloodborne, I was like, I've got to look at stuff. This is really cool. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I, I think I'll echo that. The monocular, I definitely use specifically in Bloodborne. On my replay of the full series right now, I am endeavoring more to use, like, whatever equivalent those other games have to look around. But, you know, because Bloodborne, in it, you know, all the, all the special, all the, you know, visual design, like you, like you both mentioned, but also Bloodborne's monocular is unique in that it's the only one that lets you move while you're wearing it for some reason. Like, even mm-hmm. Dark Souls 3, which came out after Bloodborne, you can't move while looking through your, you know, binocular type item. And, you know, so I'm just, so, you know, I'm just constantly looking at every little texture, every little background detail. I get this little uh, thrill whenever I see, like, a background, like, texture that ends earlier than it's supposed to. Or you can see, like, you know, something you're not supposed to see. And, and my God, like, it's filled me so much. Like, when I recently replayed Devil May Cry, I was so upset that I was like... I want to look at all this gothic imagery and I can't look at it closely because there's no first person button. And it's like every game needs that now. Every, every game just needs a bloodborne monocular in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) I I just like the, uh, the, the more like methodical nature of dark souls even extends to the monocular versus the binoculars. Like you have to stand still and use your binoculars in dark souls. (laughs) Or, or it could be like demon souls where for some godforsaken reason it's in, third person mode so like you see your character just doing this like a dumbass <laughs> while you're trying to like look at what's in front of you. i'm going to assume they fix that in the ps5 version which i haven't played but i was like why did this i'm like oh my god like what a choice yeah <laughs> going along with uh visuals we we often group music in with this uh category so in Bloodborne, it continues the uh, FromSoft tradition of like not having any music playing while you're going through the levels themselves. Uh, however, the bosses all have their own unique um, tracks. And uh, in my opinion, the Bloodborne soundtrack is just a bit more memorable, uh, more diverse in some ways, especially compared to like Dark Souls 1, uh, where a lot of the boss tracks sound very similar to me. In Bloodborne, there are some uh, tracks that I can say are like legit, really, really awesome. Uh, like Ludwig, for example, is my uh, it, well, it's probably the standout that all the you know music channels that talk about video game music will talk about that one. Uh, but a lot of them are very, very good, and they they make use of more, um, I don't know, classical horror type strings and horns and stuff to uh to keep building up that tension during these big epic fights so uh just a quick you know what do you guys think about the music in bloodborne maybe as it compares to other FromSoft games or just in general i really okay. like it a lot uh absolutely enjoy the music um i've just listened to it at times especially like, I'll just put it on when I'm going through, like, when I was reading uh, 
the Pale Blood Hunt, the, you know, fan-made yeah. <laughs> lore thing, or when I'm going through the big old collector's, you know, guide that I have, I'll just put that on and, and glance through the art book and all that kind of stuff. Um, I really enjoy it a lot. Um, I think I will definitely agree with both of you that's very good. Also that I prefer it to a lot of the other FromSoft, uh, you know, the other Soulsborne games music. The only one it doesn't top for me is Demon Souls, specifically original PS3 Demon Souls. The just really like fantastic, like, you know, I don't know if it's literally MIDI, but like MIDI sounding like video game ass music in Demon Souls. Like there's no way Bloodborne can ever hope to compete with that. But Bloodborne's soundtrack is pretty fantastic. And if you are looking to hear the latin word for blood and never ever forget it over and over and over again <laughs> oh boy i've got the soundtrack for you like <laughs> i've got the core i've got the core i've got the uh spooky catholic choral arrangements for you like holy <laughs> there is a lot uh and what i do like is that there's there's just some that just feels like more variation in the soundtrack here it's not all choral you know, background going, ha, ha, ha. It's not all like that. Like, I feel like the Dark Souls 1 soundtrack is, uh, there's a lot more uh, variation. And I, I do like how there's a, you know, they're using these sounds, like, especially with the strings that we associate with horror soundtracks um, that are just a little bit different from the rest of the the uh, OSTs in the series. So, yeah, just a little bit about the music. It's really good. If you want to hear, I think the standout track again, go go on YouTube, listen to the uh, the boss track for Ludwig. Both forms, uh, the uh, yeah, both of those back to back. Go listen to those; it's fantastic. You'll get a sense of uh, what we're talking about here. I would say really quick, just even even more than the music to me though, is just the sound effects. There's so <sighs> many. Yes. That, yeah. Like you know, if I haven't played it in a while and I go back to it and I hear those sounds. Oof. You know, when you enter a new area, when you successfully uh, parry, or all, there's so many sound effects that are, I feel like the emotions from the uh, remembering when I first was hearing them, my first playthrough and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, the sound. Yeah, the sound design is just really good to this day. Like, like I'm never like the insight sound effects. I'm never ever gonna forget that. Yep. Now we can we can forget we we can set aside the fact that I have it set as my, as my Discord notification tone. So <laughs> you know, that, but there's a reason I have there's a reason I have it set for that. So yeah, like I'm amazed I'm amazed that like people in public, if I actually have my phone too loud, haven't like just turned to me like freaked out, wondering what this like demonic whispering is or whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you know I already mentioned the uh, the enemy kind of the the hunters and or the uh you know the townsfolk in Yarnum gurgling as they die i already mentioned that the we can just talk a little bit about sound design like the thing when you brought that up the thing that i thought of is just how like wet and visceral the weapons sound as they connect yep. with enemies it's yeah. very uh <laughs> It, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never attacked somebody with a, a hacksaw before, but if I That's were, good. I, yeah, yeah, disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> they, they make it, they just make it so gross and like uh, vicious when you attack enemies more than the, um, 
you know, more than in the Dark Souls games where, you know, people are wearing armor and stuff. In Bloodborne, it's a lot of dudes with just like, you know, button up shirts on running around attacking you in the streets and so like when with, you attack them with your big and matrix weapons, coats yeah with horrifically uh, serrated homemade like contraptions yeah, yeah exactly the the that's the sound effect that i think of the most and when you're attacking uh the beasts bosses and enemies uh alike the the sound effects are they're gross and they're brutal uh it's really really good Especially when, like, their arms break or whatever. But I guess oh, we'll talk about that later. The, the bosses, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a little music break. We talked about the music a little bit. You can listen to a little bit of it. And when we come back, we'll kind of set up the story for Bloodborne. story setup for Bloodborne as the game begins. And so I'll just ask you guys, uh, I have made it clear on this show before, but if you're listening for the first time, when I play a lot of games, but mostly in FromSoft, Dark Souls, um, but also Hollow Knight, you know, Death's Gambit, Moon and I talked about, I don't pick up on the story very well. I just kind of like vibe with the game and Bloodborne's the ultimate game to just vibe with as you play through. Uh, but I do think that the story is a bit more, um, like I said, beginning, middle, and end, uh, rather than just uncovering lore about what happened, you're uncovering an actual story that happened. So when you guys play Bloodborne, do you find it easy to pick up on what's going on in the story? It's very hard to say today because I've replayed that game literally eight times or more. So yeah. like, you know, there, and I feel like that's kind of, I feel like that's kind of endemic of like the Soulsborn superfan, you know, really, where like, you know, where a lot of us are so immersed in like, oh yeah, we listen we listen to theory podcasts and we watch like Vadi's videos or whatever. And mm-hmm. just like, you know, there comes a point where like where like it's hard to tell how much was stuff that like I actually noticed versus stuff that I just kind of internalized from, you know, like, you know, fan works, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, I will say that, uh, I was trying to pay attention to the story when I played just because I love the game so much. I had a very, very, very like humorously, like, you know, conspiracy theory idea of what was going on. Um, <laughs> is it okay if I share that real quick, considering it's not the actual story just real quick? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that the big <laughs> twist was going to be that. You like, you know, the, um, you know, the, you know, the kind of like blood drunk villagers in central Yarnum that, you know, attack you, they call you a foul beast and they tell you to get away, etc. I thought the big twist was going to be that you were one of those and like everything that you saw was just a hallucination. So that like every time you every time you like fought a boss, you were actually just hacking down some poor foreigner, you know, trying to make the way through yard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you know, like, like there's a character like who later on in the game he makes a comment about how you know, oh yeah, you're still a hunter in the dream, and that like had me like, wait a minute, am I hallucinating all of this? Like, am I one of the bad guys? Like, you know, just you know, not 
quite what's going on at all. But, you know, that's the kind of, like, headspace I was in. Yeah, but yeah. I was trying to actively understand the story, though. Like, I really did care about it, so. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure that's a Black Mirror episode, what you just described there. <laughs> like, uh, just beat by beat, what happened there. Okay, so, uh, Jake, when you play, are you the type of person who digs deep into the lore and stuff like that? No. I uh, I have no idea what's going on with the From Software games when I play them. Um, Same. <laughs> I, I mean, I will say that as as we've said, Bloodborne's a little bit easier to follow, um, and having listened to and read tons of theory and lore podcasts and all that kind of stuff and posts, and then playing the games, I can actually pick it up in Bloodborne. I'm like, oh, here it is, here's this, here's that, I can follow it. Whereas in Dark Souls, even though I know what's going on, I'm still like, I, I don't know, I don't. I don't feel it as much as I do in Bloodborne. Yeah, and I, I just think, like, I'm the same way. Like, I, I definitely feel it more, and I definitely attribute that to the fact that you're, like I said, you're uncovering an actual story of why things are the way they are. Whereas mm-hmm. in Dark Souls, they tell you in the opening cutscene, things are the way they are because the Age of Fire is ending. That's it, basically. <laughs> In Bloodborne, there is a story uh, that is backing up what's going on. But uh, for you, the player character, again, just like every other From Software game, this is not a story about you uh, that you're uncovering. You're just kind of like going through and discovering it. So you are a foreigner that comes to the city of Yarnum. Uh, Yarnum is famous for a special blood ministration treatment. So your character goes to Yarnum to get this blood ministration. This is all in the opening cutscene, so I'm not really spoiling anything here. Uh, you sign a contract uh, with a guy that, frankly, if you took one look at that guy, you would never sign a contract that he offers you. <laughs> he looks fucking disgusting. But <laughs> you sign a contract, uh, and then uh, you have a possibly a nightmare you have a cutscene where a beast comes out of the floor but when it touches you it catches on fire and then these pale baby golem looking things come out of the floor <laughs> and they grab you and you wake up in the game that and doesn't so, make sense to you that's so easy to follow <laughs> exactly i was just i was gonna say like i don't know what i've been complaining about that could not be more clear they're, so. they're, 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 like, they're like the cute little uh they're at the cute little uh, forest nymphs or whatever in Princess Mononoke, but, you know, horribly disfigured and kind of terrifying. And Yeah. They but go, those are just Kodama. Those, those are in Neo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a Kodama. That's right. I, I forgot yeah, the name. I was, like, the Kodama. I was like, I was like, man, I was like, man, Neo taught me this. I know my Japanese mythology, but I can't remember. <laughs> I do. I do think the bath messengers are super cute uh, and like They're terrifying. They freak me out and I love them. Yeah, I they're they're so cute. <laughs> they're grotesque, but I, they are so small and cute. Like I, would, they just want to help you too. They're like here. They just give you things. They're like here's stuff. You cannot oversell just at least to me what a like what makes those bath messengers for me specifically. It is specifically the impossible to take seriously ghostly moans they make. Like every time you like interact with them, they go, Ooh, and it literally just sounds like a little kid doing a ghost voice. It sounds like and you're on like, Disney's Haunted Mansion. It, yeah, 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 yeah. It's this, it's, this, it's this weirdly like almost like, like 
intentionally silly, like, mm-hmm. you know, effect to be like, okay, these are your friends. We gotta have them do something that makes it impossible to be scared of them. Let's and, lighten yeah. it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. They, they give you your first weapons. They make this ridiculous sound. You, you can, can put, put hats top on hats them. on them. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Or bonnets. <laughs> there were, there yeah. was exclusive pre-order Fedora DLC, and I'm so mad because yep. I'll never get yep. it. <laughs> Same. I can't make, I can't make him look like, uh, look like a gamer gator or whatever you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) so that is the kind of story setup for bloodborne we're gonna stop here we'll talk about the story in the spoiler section a little bit Uh, but again in in these games i think all dark souls bloodborne all of these games the story for me is not why i'm playing the story is all or the the reason i'm playing is all about the gameplay and how it is so we're gonna talk about how the gameplay works in Bloodborne. We're going to first talk about like the changes that Bloodborne makes to the Dark Souls formula. We're not going to explain how Dark Souls works because I did a uh, over three hour episode about Dark Souls. So if you want to know what Dark Souls mechanics are, go listen to that episode or go play Dark Souls or play Bloodborne. Uh, Come back to this podcast. We'll still be here. So uh, some changes that Bloodborne made to the formula because Bloodborne, maybe not as much as Sekiro, but other than that, Bloodborne is kind of in its own little category over to the side. So a lot of the basic things still hold, but there are some changes that they made. So the first one, maybe the most controversial one in Bloodborne is that you no longer have Estus that recharges when you rest. You have consumable healing items called blood vials. And, uh, well, I'll kick to you guys first, losing the rechargeable healing kind of basically changes how this game works in a lot of ways. So how do you guys feel about, uh, this change to consumable healing items only? I feel, and this is something that I've, this is a conclusion I've come to recently because, you know, I'm replaying Dark Souls right now for the first time since 2018. And I will say that the loss of permanent healing is a downside. I don't like that. I mean, I say loss when it was my first game, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it's like, I will say that it is better to have like the permanently set Estus. However, I will say that Blood Vials having a specific scaling like amount that they heal is to me that is uniformly better to, um, Firekeeper Souls and Dark Souls, where you upgrade your flasks. I do not like having to manually upgrade flasks. I do like that there's a specific percentage that blood vials heal, and it scale. You know, it. I say it scales. It doesn't scale. It's a set percentage. It's something like thirty five percent of your health bar, basically. I think for each uh, for each blood vial, and you know that means that even when you have your health up to like plus 30 you are healing you know 35 percent of whatever that amount is which i think is pretty Mm -hmm. nice the one other thing and i feel like this is what they were thinking when they made them consumable and i understand i think what they were doing even if i disagree with it is that they wanted to kind of create this atmosphere where you'll get kind of like a dopamine rush whenever you pick up blood vials on the ground because, you know, you'll you'll be running around, you'll be running out blood vials, you'll kill an enemy, and they'll drop a blood vial, and it's like, oh, it's like, oh, fuck yeah, I can keep going, I got more healing. And that's cool. I don't think it was cool enough to justify removing, you know, a set amount of, you know, healing items. Mm-hmm. 
I never had an issue with it. I know a lot of people had issue because, um, you know, if you're banging your head against a particular wall, you can eventually run out and you have to go farm them. And I've always thought, yeah, that would be extremely annoying. For some reason, I have never run into an instance where I need to farm them. By the time I'm a couple hours into the game, I have like hundreds sitting in my stash that just refill me every time I die. I don't know what it is, how I play differently. Maybe I retread ground a lot more than other people, so I just end up with more. I'm not sure. Um, but I just, I never had an issue. And I would almost never heal unless I had just killed a guy that I'm like, he probably dropped vials. I'll go ahead and use one or two. And then I just pick it up and I'm still at my max vials unless I'm at a boss. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I'm probably going to use all of them. I'm much more liberal with healing, it sounds like. So, like, if an enemy, I like, so I like to go into every enemy encounter with full health, basically. So, if an enemy tags me, I will heal. And I know that's not how a lot of people play. So, I, I guess I go through more blood vials than you would, uh, Jake. So, and then, like, here's the problem. Like, when I was playing too, I, I got to the end boss of the DLC, who I won't say what it is before the spoiler section. And I had, you know, 180 blood vials in my thing. And uh, especially in boss fights too, if a boss hits me, I will back off uh, unless I can use regain, which we'll talk about. But um, I will heal at most opportunities that I need to. Uh, And... So, well, I we'll talk about, we can talk about regain here. So like part of the reason that they took away rechargeable healing is that there's a, a new healing system in the game where if you get hit, you'll see your health bar decrease, but it won't be gone. It will be like an orange color and that will go away after a few seconds. But if you hit an enemy while your health bar is like temporarily gone, you'll get some of that health back and you can keep hitting things and regain possibly all of the health that you lost. Uh, for a couple seconds after you get hit. And uh, this is really, really helpful. And it encourages you to get hit and then jump right forward and start hitting them so you can regain your health, uh, which goes into like the combat flow of Bloodborne and why it's different. Uh, But for me, I still like, it's still a risk to jump in and start wailing away, especially against bosses. So I will back off and heal more often than not. And so like, if you hit a boss playing the way that I do, healing as much as I do. If you hit a boss that takes you 15 or 20 tries, you're going to run out of vials. And then it's just a really shitty feeling. It was for me to be like, okay, I need to, I'm in the middle of this like boss wall. I fought this guy 10 times in a row. I've lost 10 times in a row and I can't heal anymore. So now I need to get out of the boss and go uh, kill some pigs to, um, farm blood vials and my first playthrough i would treat bloodborne as a kind of podcast game sometimes i would put on a podcast and go through central yarnum and farm blood vials and i had a good time my second playthrough i was not up for that so it was a a huge bummer every time i had to go farm vials so there is a like kind of replacement for it so like they're maybe they're thinking you're not going to be using vials as much as you might estus because of the regain system but i still don't like it although moon you made a really good point the needing to 
like upgrade your Estus flask in Dark Souls is also a bummer. Um, Because like, what if you miss one of those undead bone shards (laughs) in Dark Souls 3? That sucks. Uh, So like I get, you know, encouraging you to explore and stuff like that. That's great. But, you know, losing the recharging healing kind of sucks. I actually really like the Dark Souls 2 system where you have Estus and Life Gems. I think that system works, but I'm not a huge fan of uh, the consumables. Yeah, if if I had to play, like, armchair game developer, I would say that, like, between that and the rally, the regain, the rally system, what I would say is that if they want to encourage you to heal less and use the rally system more, they do have some things in the game that support using the rally system, but at the same time, I feel like having... Like, you know, I feel like in Dark Souls 1, like, you can have upwards of 20, but I feel like the typical, like, impression of Dark Souls Estus is that you have 5 or 10, usually by default, at bonfires. And I feel like doubling your healing kind of maybe, like, gives the wrong impression, like, mm-hmm. to that. Like, you know, I, I play Bloodborne, you know, in, in earnest full at first, but, like, I feel like if I had maybe only, like somewhere between five and ten vials that maybe healed more and were rechargeable and maybe a rally system that was just a little bit stronger like may like maybe if uh because you know one thing about the rally system is that if you take multiple hits in succession you instantly lose whatever rally potential there was on those previous hits right mm-hmm. so like if you take one hit that takes away 25 percent and then you take another hit, it takes another 25%. That first 25% is just gone. Like, I think a rally system that's a bit stronger, but maybe, like, a lot less, maybe a lot less healing, you know, a lot less vials, and have them just be auto-recharge. I think that would encourage you to rally a lot more, personally. The rally system really worked for me more against regular enemies in the levels, against bosses where you're, you know, if you just rush in there to try and regain as much as you can... I would down. most often just get stun locked and die. Um, whereas with regular enemies, okay, if they hit me once, fine. I can stun lock them and get all of that health back. And you can hit an enemy after they die. It'll still register a couple of hits and you can get a yep. little bit of regain uh, after that. But yeah. so Yeah, I agree. The regain is, I use it a lot more against regular enemies because like you said, you just stun lock them. You swing away and swing a little bit as they're falling to the ground, and and you're missing just a tiny little sliver of health instead. Mm-hmm. Have you um? Have either of you ever uh, done the uh, tricks for free blood bullets? No, I haven't. Okay, it's somewhat circumstantial, but you know one of the other related mechanics is that you can you can sacrifice some of your health to make extra bullets, basically right. for mm-hmm. your gun, and there's a pretty sweet, badass feeling setup you can do where if you come up behind an enemy that can be backstabbed, and just to clarify, unlike Dark Souls where you just have to kind of walk up behind someone, hit the attack button, in Bloodborne you specifically have to do a charged heavy attack, and then it opens them up to do a finishing blow, basically. Um, you can... Char- you can charge you can charge them up for a fi- you can charge them up with a heavy backstab and that'll stun them so you can do the finishing blow before you do the finishing blow create blood bullets which will take some of your health but that also activates your rally and then you can just do the finishing blow the visceral attack and you will get every single time you will get all your health back plus those extra five bullets that you just got <laughs> nice it- it's yeah. one of the coolest like synergies between those different mechanics in the game I think. 
even mm-hmm. though it's like really small and kind of inconsequential depending on what kind of build you're going for. Yeah, that's uh that's a pretty good little exploit there. I'm pretty sure I may have like, you know, accidentally done that a few times, but um <laughs> I don't know, I never unlike blood vials, I rarely ran out of bullets um in the game cuz I'm not I don't typically use the weapons that use a ton of bullets like the flame sprayer or the cannon and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, so back to what Bloodborne does to change up the Souls formula. Well, I guess this isn't a huge change because Dark Souls 2 and 3 also did this, but there is a hub uh, where you're going to do your leveling up and upgrading instead of at your uh, lamps. This probably is part of the, like, you know, this game wasn't super technically great when it launched uh, on the PS4, from what I hear. So this is maybe part of that. You also can't uh, fast travel from point to point. You have to fast travel back to the hub and then fast travel to the place where you want to go, which kind of sucks, but I feel like it was maybe a technical limitation or maybe they're trying to make that hub feel like home, which it does. The Hunter's Dream is a very... It's as cozy as this game is ever going to get uh, in the yeah. Hunter's Dream. Yeah. Um, I, I really do like the uh, the Hunter's Dream and the song that plays and uh, the weirdo NPCs that populate it. Um, they're all very good, but you you can't fast travel from one level to another level. You have to do that intermediate step, which kind of sucks. Um, but oh well. The one thing that I do want to bring up about uh, uh, about Bloodborne as it relates to Dark Souls in particular is that Bloodborne has a reputation for not having as much build variety uh, compared to the Dark Souls games. And so with your stats and like, because Bloodborne severely limits your magic compared to Dark Souls. So I count maybe four or five main builds uh, that you could do you know just based on stats you know i want to be a strength build or i want to be an arcane build and then there's some hybrids in there what i think though is that in bloodborne more so than dark souls whatever weapon you choose to play with that's your build more so than what stats you've been leveling so i have an example here the tonitrus and ludwig's holy blade are both strength arcane hybrid weapons but playing with the Tonitrus and playing with the Holy Blade are incredibly different feeling, you know, combat systems. So I think before I kick to you guys, I think Bloodborne, of course, has a, it has less stats and less magic to play with than the Dark Souls games, but you can, I don't know, I feel like there's more expression in the combat uh, based on what weapon you pick. So that kind of gives you different uh, builds. Yeah, I, I would agree. The, um, even though there's fewer weapons overall than like in the Dark Souls games, they're mm-hmm. much more unique and distinct from each other. And then each one having two forms and everything like that, um, the weapons are just, they're way more fun than in the Dark Souls games. They're what, like you said, what make that difference more so than than being like in Dark Souls a magic or a faith build or something like that. It's about the weapon that you're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that the the reduced like variety is true compared to Dark Souls. Um, however, I don't 
think that's something that's going to really show up in the moment to moment of an individual playthrough, especially your first time. Uh, the weapons definitely have a lot more room for expression. You know, that I can't remember if Dave said this in here or elsewhere already, but like, you know, your weapon is your build in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you have, you have, you have many more moves, you know, each weapon can transform into two, dis- two bespoke forms. Um, you have a good, like, you, you have uh, additional moves beyond like the ones you would have in Dark Souls within a single weapon. And I think that what's going on with Bloodborne is that the per- person who's more comfortable with an action combat system is going to find a little bit more room for variety in Bloodborne than they will in Dark Souls. Like in Dark Souls, I hear about people like, you know, kind of mapping out these like galaxy brain build paths where it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to use this weapon to here and then I'm going to level up this and I'm going to switch to this weapon and I'm going to dual wield this and that. And I'm just kind of like, that's... That's not my, that doesn't, I am getting better at this, but that's not really in line with my, like, how I play these kinds of games. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm not sitting there and thinking about the numbers or, like, the, you know, the numbers, you know, for, like, the, you know, the, I, I'm not thinking about the RPG game as strongly, the RPG expression, as strongly as I'm thinking about just, like, the actual moveset, you know, expression. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just one. It's just one of those things where, like, you know, again, I do, I do wish Bloodborne had more of that, you know, more of that, you know, room for build variety because it would mean that, you know, as I keep playing it over and over and over again, it would mean that I still have a much wider possibility space for what I can do. But, but, like, there is, there's really like, you know, nothing in Dark Souls. There's not a single weapon in Dark Souls that makes me feel I have anywhere close to as much utility as I do with any single weapon in Bloodborne. Like I can, you can show me like five or six different swords in Dark Souls. And there's a very big chance that like they're minimally different, if at all different outside of like the damage type or how much damage they do. Or like, you know, one or two weapons clearly obviating the others, you know, which is fine. That's RPGs. But, you know, it is something that Bloodborne lacks. Fewer weapons, but much wider, you know, variety within them. Right. And so I say there's less build variety. There's a reputation of having less build variety. I actually don't care because I'm not a build person. Uh, Games that have infinite build variety actually stress me out. So like Divinity Original Sin 2 was like a major, like at the beginning, I was very overwhelmed by the builds to do. Or like when I start a new Dark Souls file, I'm like, oh shit, there's like 20 different possibilities what should I do? And I'll sometimes I'll even ask other people to like, tell me, Hey, what's a cool thing to do here in Bloodborne? Um, there's less of that though. Like, even if you are a build person, you're going to have to play this game at least three times before you run out of, you know, new stuff to do or new uh, weapons, you know? And I'm glad you brought up that, um, people are kind of mapping out like different weapons to use at different portions of the playthrough. You can definitely do that in Bloodborne, but one thing I think is pretty unique aside from a few Dark Souls weapons, um, your starting weapons in Bloodborne can take you through the entire game. In fact, I think the the Saw Cleaver is the best weapon in the game, in my opinion, and that's one of your starting weapons. So like, if you're a huge build variety person and you're going to play this game 10 times, you're going to run out of new things to do, maybe, but like... For the average player, I don't think they're ever going to 
run out of possibilities, you know? Yeah. So, uh, another thing that Bloodborne has changed is Bloodborne has added in this stat called Insight, which is, uh, like Moon said, his Discord uh, notification sound. <laughs> Insight is kind of re- a, quote, replacement for humanity as it was in Dark Souls. It, it doesn't work the same way. But uh, Insight, since Bloodborne has this Lovecraftian kind of theming to it uh, and like straight up Lovecraftian things later in the game. Insight is a kind of Lovecraftian idea. It's a stat that accumulates as you see new bosses go to new areas and stuff like that. And it's kind of just, uh, it's, it's just kind of like a stat that represents like how much of the real shit you've seen. And by extension, like how, and you see the things that are really there that other people cannot see in that like cosmic horror sort of way. And it, it has some effects on the gameplay itself. I'll let one of you guys explain if you can explain what it actually does. Uh, Cause I'm not super clear on it, but it is a second currency also that you can use uh, to buy things at a special uh, merchant in the hunter's dream. So insight is cool. It, You start out with zero. Once you get one, some things in the game change. And then once you get to another threshold later in the game, things will really, uh, in a big, uh, (laughs) magnificent way, start to change visually. So that's kind of cool. Although you can just play the game and just pretty much ignore insight. Like you can play Dark Souls and basically ignore humanity. Um, Jake, do you want to explain it or do you want me to explain it? You can go for it. Okay. So uh, the way Insight works is, you know, you have a counter. Like uh, Dave said, you gain Insight for making discoveries. And the way the game defines discoveries, it is generally uh, meeting bosses for the first time, beating said bosses, discovering new areas. And then beyond that, it's just kind of like at the whims of what the developer considers like an arcane discovery basically like there are certain like in-game like events and quests where it's not like it's not really consistent in any way but there will be a story beat that's like oh yeah that's especially lovecrafty and that's especially eldritch and you'll get you know insight for happening upon it and like you know so like just you know discoveries is i guess the key word for what causes it to go up as for what it does there are this is actually kind of a disappointment I have with the system in the game is that it feels like the promise of what it does is greater than what it actually accomplishes for how it affects what you see. Mm-hmm. Because there are basically two levels of what you can see. Once you hit 15 insights, um, you start to see certain things like certain enemies will get additional effects on their attacks. Like, you know, n- not going to get into the spoilers of it all, but like, you know, for example, there might be an enemy holding a lantern. And when you get to 15 insight, that lantern will actually be covered in eyeballs and do and have an additional attack <laughs> or something like that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there and, you know, there's there in the hunter's dream, there's certain uh, dialogue that will be more likely to that will only that has a small chance of happening only if your insight is high enough. After 15, I believe the only insight tier is 40. And 40 insight, basically, there's a certain thing that happens in, I guess, after Act 2 of the game, where you're kind of, like, able to see certain things in the world. 
and 40 insights simply allows you to see that stuff sooner. Yeah. Which, you know, even as a first-time player, that's disappointing because, at least for me, as a first-time player who didn't really know anything, like, I wasn't just keeping all my insight. To me, that was money. I was spending it on, you know, whatever I could buy at the Bath Messengers in the Dream. Um, the only real effect beyond that is involving a certain mechanic called Frenzy. Um, should I explain that now, Dave, or are we going to wait on that? Yeah, we can explain Frenzy. Frenzy is the one of the worst status effects I've ever come across <laughs> in a game in, in the yep. FromSoft tradition of uh, curse being fucking horrible in every game and uh what is it terror in Sekiro being fucking horror terror is fucking worse, terrible by the way <laughs> that that one was awful because it would just straight yeah. up kill you uh, in yeah. one hit yeah go ahead and uh, explain what frenzy is okay so frenzy is kind of like a representation of madness i believe yeah the idea is that there are certain you know attacks there are certain attacks enemies can do that that increase frenzy damage and frenzy like so many other status effects in bloodborne and other you know soulsborne games there's a bar that fills up and when it gets to the top it'll you know it'll trigger whatever special effect it has on you what frenzy does is it 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 robs you of i believe it is a percentage level i believe it is 85 percent of your health bar something to that effect um so like, you have to be like close you have to be close or pretty close to full Basically, if you want to survive a hit of frenzy Um, and, you know, what will cause that is like, you know, and, you know, it's kind of themed. So it's like kind of like, you know, certain attacks will be like, oh, yeah, you'll see an enemy that has like a big brain and they can literally just do psychic damage to you and shoot little spears into you. And that increases, you know, your frenzy bar. The the way insight um, ties into this is that the higher your insight is, the lower your frenzy resistance is. Yeah. So, you know, if you go in with like 99 insight into against a brain enemy, good fucking night. Like, you know, you're not doing that. Yeah, that's why you want to spend your insight, basically, like even beyond the cool things you can get for spending it. Like, that's why you want to spend it. That's why if you're not particularly into the cool things you see, which, again, like kind of becomes obviated, like halfway, like two thirds, halfway through the game, basically halfway to two thirds through the game. Um, you're going to want to keep your insight low because frenzy, um, because frenzy will build up much faster if you have insight and a couple other, a couple other, you know, things regarding that is insight also affects beasthood. Beasthood is another mechanic. Maybe we can talk about, but the lower your insight, the easier it is to build up beasthood for extra damage. Um, yeah, I feel like there's one more thing I'm forgetting. I can't remember what it is. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> the most important part. This is why these two guys, I hate it so much. Um, understandably, I think, even though I'm, I'm softer on Frenzy than a lot of people, um, is that Frenzy doesn't... A lot of the enemies that cause Frenzy, like, do so with, like, line of sight, basically. Because, like, they, they are some, there are a number of enemies that do Frenzy. And it's not many enemies that do Frenzy damage, to be clear. But the ones that do, like... Like, there's something like three or four enemies. There's, like, maybe two or three enemies that consistently do frenzy-type attacks. And, like, two of those three are literally just line of sight. If they see you, your frenzy bar starts to fill up. Which, like, thematically, that's really cool. Like, the idea that just seeing this enemy is causing Mm, you to lose your fucking mind. Yeah, it hurts you. But in practice, 
not it's great. such a pain it's a pain yeah and, and because yeah and because it doesn't it doesn't stop frenzy doesn't like caught and i guess i shouldn't say just line of sight because it happens with frenzy attacks the heart line of sight too but frenzy doesn't just stop once nope. it hits you like it will continue to build up and that's where insight comes into play the mm-hmm. like if you like if i see something if i see a brain enemy and it gets line of sight on me for a second and i hide behind a wall because there is the there, there, there is yeah there is a cover mechanic in certain areas it will continue to build up and if you have for high insight bit. if you have high insight I swear to you, I have had scenarios where I was seen for a few seconds by a brain and my insight just built up to maximum zero, basically, because my insight was too high. Or like, what what really sucks is when you see one of those enemies, your frenzy's building, you kill it, you're like, I won! Frenzy finishes building, you die. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, it <laughs> is, gone. and like, to be clear, like, it is pretty... It is pretty easy to tank frenzy if you need to, like if you have enough, if you have like a reasonable amount of blood vials. However, because of the way these enemies work, if you haven't like already killed them, like you know, you're just you're again. just kind of stuck in you're just stuck in a death loop because you know once frenzy builds up, there's no grace period, there's no cooldown. If you are still if you're still in the presence of something that causes frenzy, it like just it will just instantly start going back up. Yeah, and yeah. the one consumable that you have that. Uh, negates that called um set the sedative, sedative it yep. is you can't carry enough of it at the same time or it, it, it just it just usually doesn't make sense to use that instead of a blood vial especially if you're talking about like taking your ps4 controller and just like you know desperately fumbling to you know get to get to where the uh the sedative is like it's just it's just not worth it it's yeah it, it's i think it's a super cool mechanic i don't hate it as much as some people do simply because like it's it's much less a part of the game than it sounds on paper but it is it does have some i think i think it's fair to say some objectively ill-considered elements to it mechanically well yeah, we have spent kind of a disproportionate amount of time on the podcast talking about Frenzy for the amount of times in the game where it's going to come yeah, up. It's but true. it is <laughs> it is a giant, yeah, it is a yeah. giant pain in the ass uh in my opinion and it just carries on the tradition of from from software um having one status effect that just fucking sucks. Like yep. maybe it's a cool idea, but in practice like the game is already hard enough. Uh we don't really need this in my opinion but anyway so that's insight i remember being on a stream i think moon you were in the chat and i kept getting just just destroyed by frenzy and it was it was either you or someone else in the chat that was like hey dude you have like 75 insight go spend that shit and you'll be okay and i was like oh right yeah there's a connection there for sure yeah i think i, I think i think that might have been me it could be yeah. wrong if you were the other person and it was actually you i'm so sorry please don't dox me or hunt me down <laughs> so uh the other thing uh real quick and not to uh spend a ton of time on this because this is part of the from software um like dna there are npcs uh, that you'll meet throughout the game that have uh, little side quests attached to them. In Bloodborne, there's not as many, I don't think. Uh, there's only a few that I can think of. But in From Software tradition, these are incredibly hard to see through to the end. Um, even at the easiest, all you have to do is find these people in the random ass spots where they are uh, throughout the side quest, which is, I mean, I think that's really hard because, like, they'll. 
they'll go to levels that you've already cleared out before. So if you're not like going back through all the levels all the time, you're going to miss some of these side quests. The NPCs can die during side quests as they always can. Um, so like there's a couple there's there's one in particular, Alfred, who like just saying his name's not a spoiler, but I I can see Alfred's quest through to the end because there's no way for him to die during his quest. But there's uh, another one in particular that I have never ever been able to uh, get through to the very end. So just like the other Souls games, the NPC quests are obtuse and they are hard to see through to the end, and the rewards for doing so are. I mean, if you're really, really into story stuff, sure. But like mechanical rewards and like actual, you know, tangible rewards for it, not great in my opinion. Uh, so like, don't feel bad if you're doing this and you you see one of your NPCs and then they just die or like you see them and then you never see them again, which will happen, I think. Don't feel bad. They're cool, but they're not like, um, I don't know. Not, none really as cool as like, Sigmire or something like that in my opinion yeah there's some good ones but yeah they're they're difficult for sure i always try to do them because i feel weird if i don't which yeah. is just that's just me <laughs> because yeah. i'm like why am i doing this i'm not gonna get anything but i have to yeah i mean i'll send eileen on her quest but then I'll forget to do something at the right time, and then I'll come back and she's dead or something yep, like that. You, you know? missed it. Yeah, I, I will say that I think I don't personally find like the character stories of the side quests like like less compelling than Dark Souls. I actually really do like some of those characters and how you interact with them. However, there's kind of a combination of the side quests being too simplistic and or being too short. Like, you know, like, for example, like, you know, not going to get into spoilers, but there's a character who I guess you could say, you know, she's kind of a, she's kind of like your Solaire character in a way. Like, you know, she's the buddy that you meet early in the mm-hmm. game. And whereas like Solaire, like you meet him upwards of four or five times throughout the game. And then you can either, you know, you know, see his story and the way it naturally does. You you're already crying. You know what I'm talking about. Or, you know, you can end it the other way. Whereas with Bloodborne, with this character in particular, you meet her exactly three times. There are, like, two major events to her story. And if you, like, if you, like, fuck it up, it's, like, it's not particularly compelling what happens. Like, you know, oh, um, I let her die during this fight because, you know, my weapon swings literally kept cutting through her when I was trying to fight the other guy. Or, oh, um, I guess I just forgot to find her in this random place, so now I've yep, forgot to go talk to her, her before beating this boss. Yeah, right, it's over. yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's both arbitrary and just too simplistic to really, like, feel compelling. Like, I feel like there would be more, well, I said I don't think it's less compelling, but, like, it, it, they're too short to really feel, like, big deals in the way they should be. Like, I constantly feel like, man, I wish there was more to this. Like, I wish there was more to this person's character. I wish I could learn more about them. Like, yeah. So the NPCs are like, they're there. There's a few of them. The stories are fine. I mean, it's bloodborne. So like the flavor of it is usually really good. I mean, I mentioned Alfred, uh, if you can see his quest line to the end, because it's, it's very memorable. I'll say with no Mm -hmm. spoilers, but anyway, there, I, I just don't think there's anything as memorable or like no characters that are as colorful and, 
uh, memorable as Solaire or uh, Sigmire or something like that. So we are going to take a music break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the combat in Bloodborne. Right, and time to talk about the combat in Bloodborne, which is, uh, in my opinion, the star of the show, uh, the combat. And frankly, it's besides exploring, it's what you're doing through most of the game. So we already talked about the regain slash rally system. When we say those words, we mean the same thing. Um, We already talked about the weapons, how each weapon has different forms, but we can kind of elaborate on that. So I, I guess there's two main things in the combat that differentiate this from even Dark Souls 3, which feels pretty similar depending on your playstyle to Bloodborne. Each weapon has two forms. And so I use the uh, the saw cleaver, which is a, it's a big old saw with a big old handle on it. Um, and so, for example, if you press, I think it's it's L1, right, on the uh, the PS4 controller, you yes. will switch weapon forms and you'll kind of extend the saw into a, a longer handle with a bigger reach, basically. You'll you'll have a second form with a bigger reach, so you can do a little bit more crowd control with this other one. And the other thing that's cool about this is that by doing this in the middle of a combo, there are special attacks. So you can hit your R1, R1, L1, and you'll do the, what's called a transformation attack. And most weapons have these, and I found I don't use these a ton, but I find them to be a good way to sneak in an extra hit that maybe I don't have the stamina for uh, for another like full hit with the the regular R1 or R2s. And but if you watch someone like like Sunni Legend on Twitter who is like a fucking professional at these kind of games, um, you will see them like pepper these in, and it. it I mean, you're not bouncing enemies up in the air like Devil May Cry or something, but it it really unlocks this like extra level of expression and complexity to the melee combat that uh, Dark Souls games don't. Ha- Dark Souls games are not trying to do this. Bloodborne mm-hmm. specifically added this in and then removed it for Dark Souls Three, which came out later. So this is one of the other things that um, kind of differentiates this. The other thing is that you have a gun instead of a shield. And so in Bloodborne, you can pick up a shield, but it's a joke and the game gives it to you. Uh, just so like if you're a Dark Souls player coming in, you're like, finally, I found a shield and it you can't do shit with the shield. You'll learn that very quickly. So Bloodborne is a uh, more dodging based game. And then you have a gun, but your gun is not used for damage uh, unless you specifically build for that. 
um, your gun is used for parrying. So I have, I said this on the Dark Souls episode, but I can't parry in Dark Souls. I find it basically impossible, uh, except for Gwyn. But in Bloodborne, they extended the parry window like way bigger than it feels in Dark Souls. So when the enemy is winding up to hit you, you shoot your gun, you'll get a parry, you can run in for this critical attack with this absolutely brutal animation, um, depending on the enemy. I'm thinking of the pigs right now, the visceral attack on the pigs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can't parry every enemy, but like Moon said earlier, you can get that critical attack by uh, surprising them with a charged um, R2 heavy attack also. So those three things, okay? So the, the weapon forms, transformation attacks, dodging based combat instead of blocking and parrying with guns makes the Bloodborne combat feel very, very different from uh, Souls games while also maintaining the same kind of thing. You need to be methodical. Mm -hmm. You need to study the enemies. You need to learn their attacks and stuff like that. So I'll turn it over to you guys. Um, I really, really, really love the combat in Bloodborne, even if I don't get into the transformation attacks so much. I'll turn it over to you guys. What do you guys think? Uh, I absolutely agree that I I love it. Um, and another thing that, that adds to the increase in speed is the fact that your dodge in Dark Souls, it's a roll. And, yeah. you know, there's lots of really funny memes and comics about rolling around to get away from blows in the middle of combat. Uh-huh. Combat rolling. <laughs> yeah. In Bloodborne, it's just a slide. You stay on your feet. You basically shift to the side really fast so you're never going down, you don't have to get back up, you just shift, and then you, you know, mo- every weapon has a, a dodge attack as well, which you shift, and if you attack at the right time, you lunge in with a really fast attack. So again, it just keeps it all faster. Uh, another reason that people use the transformational attacks all the time is they have a higher damage multiplier than a regular attack. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, uh, you know, different attacks have different damage multipliers. It's like, oh, this quick attack is 0.85 of a full, you know, 100% damage. It's 85 and this one is 1.05. And then the transformational attacks will be like 1.35. You know, it does 30% more damage than a regular hit, which is no joke. So if you learn to get those in, not only do you have more variety of moves to play with, you're just playing doing more damage as well. Yeah, good thing with that dodge uh, real quick. You have two dodges in Bloodborne. If you're locked on, you'll do this like kind of hop step, uh, mm-hmm. which is a real quick dodge. And if you're, uh, remind me, because it's different in every game. If you're locked on, if you double tap dodge, do you do the dodge roll? You do, I think you do, right? You like do your s- in- your quick slide and then a bigger away. I think bloodborne it's still the quick step if you're locked on even if you double i'm okay, pretty sure but, and then if you're not locked on you do the big long dodge roll yeah you do you do the dark yes. soul dodge roll if you're not locked on yeah that's it uh, i should say uh for those of you who for whatever reason have played dark souls and haven't played bloodborne by listening to this um the back step that you do by pressing dodge without holding a direction or anything in dark souls the quick step is basically like that, but it's for every direction, and it's faster and longer, and there's more iframes, I'm pretty sure, etc. Um, I guess to add on to what y'all said about the combat so far, is that 
transforming it depends on weapon to weapon but mm-hmm. it is viable to just make an entire combo of chaining transformation attacks like um basically because basically i think uh i think they, they've already mentioned that if you hit the transformation button right after hitting the attack button before the animation is done you know you'll do a transformation attack you can also trigger a transformation attack by dodging and then hitting the transformation button and you know so whatever method you choose whether you're starting with a light attack or you're starting with a dodge you can just change you can just chain transformation attacks over and over and over again if you want until you run out and it's kind of a I got to be careful with my words here because I have a friend who's very into fighting games. He'll be mad if I get this wrong, but <laughs> my, my, you know, not playing fighting games. My understanding is that a lot of them do have the kind of like three tiers of like light attacks, medium attacks, and heavy attacks. Transformation attacks are kind of like the secret, somewhat hidden like medium attack between yeah, like, the lights and the heavies. And, like you know, they like, like they take more they take more stamina. At least in my experience, the weapons I've used. I, Believe it or not, I've still not used all the weapons in this game. Um, but like, despite having played it so many times, but like the um, they take more stamina than lay attacks, but they take less to stamina than heavy attacks. And I don't know if like there's. I mean, I know uh, Jake already mentioned the uh, the damage multipliers. Like that, that's kind of where my brain like just turns off. I don't even notice that number stuff honestly, <laughs> even though that that is useful. I probably should pay attention to it. Um, all I know is that when I use a whole bunch of transformation attacks, it certainly feels better than like, you know, any other like combo spam, basically like, and you know, and and see, and it's very easy to do when you have stuff like the saw cleaver, where it is literally just, oh, what if my saw was a longer saw basically, you know? Right. So, yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of weapons will do that. Like the transformations will extend it into a longer weapon. The ax does that too. Uh, the saw spear does that, but a lot of them will literally transform it into something so like there's one weapon where the regular form is a sword but the transformation is a big ass hammer um (laughs) or uh the tonitrus like if you hit the transformation thing it will um electrify the tonitrus and do extra electric damage and stuff like that so like not all of the transformations do uh just you know short weapon, long weapon, you know, stuff yeah. like that. You, yeah. you do need to experiment with all of the weapons. And this plays into that idea that your weapon has so many capabilities by itself that it becomes your build, basically. You need yeah. to get the stats for the weapon, but the weapon that you have, you get very, very familiar with its whole move set, uh, which is a lot more varied than a Dark Souls game. Yeah, some of the weapons you know, become two-handed, so you no longer have your pistol available anymore. Right. Some of the weapons completely change what sca- what stat they scale with. Yep. Um The Chikage, yep. in its regular form, is a one-handed katana that uses skill. skill. Yeah. And then when you transform it, it's now two-handed, so lose the, pis- uh, lose the pistol, plus it only scales off blood tinge. Which is one of the more rare, harder to use stats to build towards. It can be really, really good. It actually makes your guns become viable damage dealing, like Dave said, where unless you build a certain way, the guns are only for parrying. Mm-hmm. Blood tinges when they're not. But yeah, you have a weapon that completely changes when you switch it. So that one, if you're only building towards, say, skill, you would never want to use it in its second form because you're not built towards that. You're going to suddenly lose damage. Right. Do you guys find, uh, do you guys agree with me that the parrying in Bloodborne is, 
uh, easier? Like, would you say the parrying is easy for the average player who's playing it? Because I don't think parrying in Dark Souls is easy for the average player. I think that's an advanced player thing, parrying in Dark Souls. Okay, my take on parrying for Bloodborne, I do agree with you. It feels more natural to me, uh, Bloodborne, the stun with your gun. Um, I would say that I think the difference that makes it more intuitive is that it is purely based on the kind of like same metric for every gun, which is that you want to fire at the enemy as late into their attack animation as possible, basically. Like, you know, it's like, you know, once your enemy's already lunged at you, you know, and, and, you know, Bloodborne, because it's on PS4 as opposed to, you know, Xbox 360 and PS3 like Dark Souls is, like, there is a lot more, like, there is a lot more, like, detail, like, you know, to the animations, you know, where, like, you know, when your char- when the characters lunge at you, like, like, if you compare, like, the Hollows in Dark Souls 1, where, like, they'll kind of lunge at you and they'll just be almost like puppets that kind of got picked up and, like leap at you like you know bloodborne the characters will kind of like rear back and then you know you know reach forward with their arms etc um you can see that more but also because it the idea is you want to parry as late into the attack as possible it's to my understanding different from dark souls where it's like oh there's a specific window for each attack where you have to parry and you have to like hit it when like the sword when the enemy's sword is at this point compared to you whereas in bloodborne it's just oh yeah it's just do just it as close just, just pull the trigger like as yep. close to being hit as possible. And it's, you're, you're ba- you you are playing chicken basically, and you want to jump out. The, <laughs> you want to you want to fire at the last possible. Se- Dep- depending on your gun, because different guns do have different firing rates. But like you want to fire as you want to fire as close to being hit as you can get away with. And even if you get hit, sometimes that will you will have done it early enough to basically kind of do a trade where like you'll stun you'll take damage, but you'll also stun them. And if you recover from the hit fast enough, depending on what the attack was, you can still get that uh, visceral in and maybe even recover that damage you took. Right. Yeah. I think the big difference with Dark Souls with the shields is with, like we said, with Bloodborne, with the gun, you just hit the button, you pull the trigger, you're shooting for the most part. Some are a little slower, but it's pretty quick. In Dark Souls, you have to take into account not only the attack and where the enemy's weapon is and when it's going to hit you, but what shield you're using and how fast you swing it and at what point in the shield swing you need it to connect with their weapon for it to count as a parry. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot more going on. Yeah, Um, that's true. You have two animation windows that you have to line up. Because some of the shields have a bigger window, right? but they don't block as much if you mess it up and others have a much smaller window, but if you mess it up, you're still getting an okay block in. In Bloodborne, it's just you pull the trigger and you shoot him. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's all you're worrying about. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of taking this combat and like you'll you'll get trained on this. There's some enemies in the first level that are like specifically designed to teach you how to parry. Uh, those big brick trolls are very yep. easy to parry and uh, they have these big wind-ups. They're almost begging you to do it. Um, there's a hidden tutorial area for that too, almost like when um when you first go into Central Yarnum and you get to where that big gate is. There's that Behind hidden the carriage. corner. Yeah, 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 yeah. That hidden corner with like the brick troll and like you don't get anything good for being them, but they are there and they are isolated. It is specifically to teach you dodge and parry timings. At least that's how I feel seeing it. Where it's like, oh yeah, this is literally just here, like to give me kind of like a makeshift 
tutorial room without actually having like a pause screen tutorial room like Bayonetta or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The uh, the other thing about the parries is that uh, a lot of the bosses can be parried. And this is mm-hmm. how I'm going to transition into talking about bosses uh, because that is, well, it's like one half of the combat here in these games is uh, you, you learn the combat by fighting all these enemies in the levels, but sooner or later you're going to come up against the, the big bad bosses. And uh, I think in Bloodborne that the bosses are at a very high batting average, I think, um, compared to not that the bosses in Dark Souls 1 are bad, but some of them are bad and some of them are pretty average. I really enjoy the bosses in Bloodborne. Some I enjoy like mechanically and like learning how to fight them, but all of them have very cool designs at least some of them have very cool backstories and stuff like that so like if you have a boss in bloodborne that's like very average mechanically or like fun factor wise uh they at least look really fucking cool uh there's a big mix of like human or humanoid enemies uh big beasts to fight and then later in the game you get into some real eldritch uh, monstrosity type things that you're fighting so what do you guys think um this is i mean it's a a big question but just like uh maybe comparing to others in the series or like i I don't think it's a stretch to say that compared to most video games the bosses in bloodborne are very very good yeah the uh yeah bloodborne bosses like the thing about them like you mentioned the uh, parry you know thing with them um, you can't parry every boss, but in retrospect, it is, it's one of those things where like, you know, it, it is kind of obvious which ones you can parry because there are a number of humanoid bosses, um, like, you know, that you meet throughout the game that you can, you know, parry. But aside from that, like, you're not really parrying them. And that's one thing I think that they did um, improve in some of their future games, like, you know, Sekiro, where it's like, oh, yeah, literally everything is parryable. Um as far as the bosses like uh designs themselves, I uh they're they're fantastic designs. I think Bloodborne probably by volume has has like the most like bosses that I really love in the series, basically. Um I you know there you know there's there's some gorgeous, gorgeous, you know, effects to them that can really like they can sometimes get in the way, especially, you know especially with, you know, how like lovingly and like luxuriously they're animated basically like especially because you know the frame rate of the game isn't especially nowadays it's not quite up with where a lot of the other you know souls games can run on modern hardware but um yeah they have still haven't updated well actually yeah people are up in arms that they haven't updated bloodborne for the ps5 they haven't updated from software hasn't updated any of their games for the ps5 as far as i know or dark souls 3 they did dark souls 3 and sekiro both both run at 60 on um ps5 to my okay okay yes but like uh i don't remember which but dark souls 1 remastered and dark souls 2 scholar for sin already ran at 60 yeah exactly because they were older and Exactly. Yeah. So that's the thing is that Bloodborne is the only one that doesn't run at sixty. Okay. All yeah. the others it, it, do. Yeah. At least in terms of at least somewhere. whatever the most modern, whatever the most modern hardware is. Right. Yeah. And I had yeah. down here that like part of the thing uh, that makes some of these bosses hard is there is a lot of 
effects like mm-hmm. a lot of the bosses have like torn cloth flying around or like hair or torn skin yeah or yeah it's a <laughs> lot of stuff um and so flying some, around some of the bosses like i noticed this in the cleric beast which is for many people the first boss they're gonna fight uh that the frame rate kind of does tank during some of these boss fights um even when i played on ps5 uh recently so I mean, not like tank tank, not like, you know, 10 frames per second, but it definitely does slow down for sure. Um, yeah, and they did, they did improve it after launch too. Like there were some real like choke points that, yeah. to, from what I hear, because I didn't play it till long after that, but there were some choke points that did get improved with updates along with those load times, which were apparently like literally a minute long at launch. I was just like going to say. Screen. <laughs> They didn't yeah. even yeah. have the text on yeah, it. Yeah, didn't even have lore, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, if you if you listen to podcasts about Bloodborne that came out, like, right after the game was released, everyone was like, you have to wait, like, a full minute every time you die uh, to get back. But it's not like that anymore. And that was one thing I did notice on the PS5, that the load times yeah. were, like, real short. Yeah, PS4 Pro uh, increased it, too, because I remember on the original yeah. PS4, like, a typical loading screen for me was something like 30 seconds long. And then on my recent replay, I was like, you know what? I wonder if the PS4 Pro with boost mode improves this at all. And, like, my average loading screen, like, it depended, but it was, like, it was usually, like, 10 to 15 seconds, which... yeah. That feels long now, but it is still much better. Yeah. Just sounds like there's a jet engine in your room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. PS4 Pro so, was loud. So back on the subject of bosses, uh, there will be a special episode of Tales from the Backlog later this week where I am joined by some guests to do tier rankings of the bosses in Bloodborne, just like we did for the Dark Souls episode. And I feel like will be a continuing theme uh, when we cover show cover games on the show that have lots and lots of great boss fights so uh stay tuned for that episode coming out later this week but the bosses in bloodborne in the spoiler section of this episode will be giving our top three bosses so stick around for that if you have already played the game or if you don't care about spoilers so the other thing that i want to highlight in bloodborne is the level design which uh, I feel like Bloodborne is the last game in the From Software catalog that really, really focused on you get one checkpoint in each level or maybe two, and then you have all these looping shortcuts back to that same checkpoint. And you get that incredible feeling of like, you're like, I am running low on healing. I'm running low on other consumables. I'm running low on bullets or like, I'm just having a hard time. I really need to rest, but that last lamp was so long ago. Then you're exploring around, you find a door, you open it up, and it's an elevator that takes you back to your original lamp, which is something that a lot of people loved in Dark Souls 1. Uh, Dark Souls 2 kind of, I don't want to say abandoned that totally, but it's not a huge point of emphasis. And then Dark Souls 3, they moved even further away from that, in my opinion. Except for, like, one level. Yeah. They, they every now and then, they're like, <laughs> hey, let's let's do that thing we used yeah. to do. Like, Cathedral of the Deep in Dark Souls 3 does yeah. that extensively and amazingly. And it's but it's, one, like, the only place that does And it's one of the game. best levels in Dark Souls 3. But Bloodborne uh, really focuses on that for most of the levels. And so you're... It's the 
closest you get to the interconnected world of Dark Souls 1 out right. of any of their games, I think. It's yeah. not as interconnected as Dark Souls 1, but it's the closest. Yeah, I, I guess if we want to talk about that, since you brought it up, is that yeah. one thing I find interesting about Bloodborne is that like the the progression of the main story is like, it is tight-fistedly linear. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you do things in a very specific sequence and it's you know you are you are basically climbing up straight up the main log of the tree and any branch you go onto is just going to be like side content of a dead end of some kind right mm-hmm. um like you know like like you know you're not necessarily that's not to say that the world is a straight line the world is not a straight line but the way you go through it is one very specific direction however the world design itself is still somewhat labyrinthian and one interesting thing i noticed compared to dark souls is that whereas Dark Souls, I mean, after after the Undead Asylum, obviously, like you start from Firelink Shrine. And Firelink Shrine is kind of like at the top and directly like in the middle of the spider web, so to speak, right? Like, you know, you can go like in any given direction and go to areas that each all lead to multiple areas, right? So like, you know, whereas in Bloodborne, I feel that like Cathedral Ward, that is like the equivalent of Firelink Shrine but you're not starting from there. You're kind of starting from like the edge of a spoke in Central Yarnum. Like Central Yarnum technically has like one area that loops back into it, but it is more or less like a dead end compared to like when you get, you know, through Central Yarnum into Cathedral Ward. Like that Cathedral Ward is kind of like the middle area that like leads in like three or four different directions. And on top of that, like your equivalent of the cos of the I know we called the Hunter's Dream the cozy place earlier, and it is, but your equivalent of the place where the NPCs you meet gather is in Cathedral Ward. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the, like, fi- like Cathedral Ward is treated like Fire and Link Shrine much more than the Hunter's Dream is, mm-hmm. you know, which is like, so, so it's weird. It's like, it's like Bloodborne, because especially as Miyazaki, he, my understanding is that he started working on Bloodborne as soon as he was done with Dark Souls 1. Like, you can literally find, like, an early version of one of Bloodborne's maps in Dark Souls 1's code. I remember reading. Um, in fact, it might have been Cathedral Ward, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, you can kind of tell that he's still kind of operating on those similar world design philosophies, even if, like, the progression philosophy in Bloodborne is much more linear. Yeah. There's also that kind of thing that people have pointed out where the first boss that you fight in Bloodborne is basically the last boss of the Dark Souls 1 DLC. Or at least yep. they look <laughs> the same and they're very similar. I don't think it's as, uh, I don't so think the Cleric Beast is. Yeah. I don't think the cleric beast is as bullshit a fight as the Manus fight is, but um, Agreed. anyway, there there is some uh, some direct carryover at least in the way they're thinking. So yeah, just wanted to highlight like if you're into if you played Dark Souls one and you really love how the levels loop back on each other and how it's it's designed from like you have your one lamp uh, which is your your bonfire type thing in this game. You have your one thing and then you're going to open up two or three shortcuts back to it as you progress through the level. There are a couple levels that don't quite do that, but I think most of them do. Um, And then in the DLC, I'm thinking of a couple in particular that are just like, just incredible with the way that you'll find an elevator and suddenly you're back at your lamp and you're like, holy shit, ah, this is great. (laughs) This feels so great because some of these levels do get really, really hard. Oh yes, they do. The design of like the levels too, like we we talk about in the Dark Souls episode, how it how great it feels to explore those games. Um, Bloodborne is the same way. 
I think from software has absolutely nailed exploration, like making exploring the level every single nook and cranny worth your time. You will probably find an item that's cool. Maybe you'll find a weapon. Maybe you'll find an NPC. Uh, maybe you'll just find an enemy that is uh, very weird. Um, it's just always good. I, I just get this like incredible compulsion to explore everywhere uh, in these FromSoft games, and Bloodborne is um, Bloodborne is absolutely the same way. Yeah, uh, I feel I feel like a lot of people do. You know, I have heard you know quite a bit of complaint about like the clutter in Bloodborne. Right, like yeah. the visual clutter, like kind of like, oh yeah, I walk into a room and there's a bunch of pots and there's a bunch of books in the corner. You know, there's a bunch and of like forty-five you know, coffins. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there, there's a bunch of like skulls, like you know, basically sprouting out of the ground, that kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know, man. To me, that's just more like visual data to look at because, like, if you look at most of it, most of it seems to have some kind of like intentionality, even if like, even if some, even if a lot of it is still kind of vague, you know. Like, you know, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if anyone, if you or anyone listening has heard of uh, Jerk Sands Frontiers, which was, which is an old Bloodborne channel that isn't around anymore, but it was just like nine very long episodes of walking around with a monocular and like examining Mm -hmm. every texture and every enemy. Like, oh yeah, this enemy has like these, what looks like whip markings on its back, which could show that maybe they were a slave race, but there are also some on their front. So that actually wouldn't make sense. You know, just like, just all this, like, you know really cool sense of detail that's like just injecting into my veins like a blood vial like holy fuck it's really good stuff <laughs> yeah a lot of people complain about the clutter and i 100 percent do not understand like i people are saying are you are those people saying that they want these levels to have less detail and less care put into the way that they look like they i must love be dark souls 2 fans well they like, want effective use of negative space yeah I, but Bloodborne has, like, Bloodborne is not literally just full of stuff that's crashing and flying around everywhere yeah. you go. Like, if you go into a building, there should be stuff in there if you're going in someone's house yeah. or something like that. Or if you're... Well, I would I would say imagine um, the feeling in, like, a Western walking into a ghost town where there's literally nothing there's no trash there's no people that that feeling of emptiness is a very Mm -hmm. distinct feeling that bloodborne doesn't have anywhere because it it's stuff everywhere it's more chaotic which maybe they weren't going for that feeling but i understand what they're saying the the clutter is the opposite of that so you never get that feeling of emptiness and negative space that you can in in some of the other games especially because people were part of it is the console generations. It was the first time they went to PS4, they had more horsepower to play with and they let loose. Well, that's true. But the other thing to mention that, and this is the one that really puts me on Dave's side of, oh yeah, I don't understand this, is that like, replaying Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 1 does that too. Like, it doesn't do it as much because, you know, like Jake just said, like, you know, they didn't have the horsepower of the next generation of consoles, but Dark Souls 1 had that same design philosophy. You walk into rooms and they're just full of stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, just stuff to like make these places like feel lived in or feel travel or feel well-worn, you know, etc. Like, you know, like, like among all the games that from all the Soulsborne games, Dark Souls 2 feels like the anomaly with that, and that was kind of because 
to my understanding, there was like some development trouble where they had to like apparently reconsider a lot of like the graphical design and detail, et cetera, when they were making that game. Yeah, I definitely understand the like, you know, you want to have negative space, but like, I don't know. Bloodborne is not, you're not exploring the long abandoned ruins of, uh, you know, a civilization here. There's still people living in the city. So it makes sense that there's all this stuff around. And I mean, just the streets lined with coffins that are chained shut really uh, adds a lot to the atmosphere, even if it's, it's just, you know, set dressing uh, and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I really enjoy it. The first time you notice that they're, that they're chained shut is kind of like a, Oh, what yeah. <laughs> is going on here? Why are they here? chaining yeah. their coffin shut? And then the entire game, you're waiting for something to jump out of a coffin at you. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I recently recorded an episode about Kingsfield 4, uh, which will, by the time you hear this, it will be out. But like uh, in that game, we talked about how it's cool that every, I mean, it's a PS2 game, so they had to do it this way, but everything's empty in that because you are exploring the ruins of a long, long abandoned civilization in that game. And Bloodborne's not the same way. So it makes sense for it to be cluttered with people's things and furniture and stuff like that. So yeah, moving on uh, into kind of like uh, wrapping up some of the other features of Bloodborne, we're going to take a short music break and then we will finish these up. Bloodborne, there are a couple of other things to note. The first one is that uh, Bloodborne features something that's unique in the From Software catalog, as far as I know, which are called Chalice Dungeons in Bloodborne. They are uh, procedurally generated, uh, except for a handful, maybe, I don't know, 10 or so that are fully uh, bespoke. But even when I say they're bespoke, they're not designed with the same like level design sensibilities that the real levels are. Um, they I, they just mean that they are laid out in a, a non-procedurally generated way. Um, some of them have, well, all of them have lore implications, but like, or like the existence of them has lore implications. Some of them have unique bosses. And the reason that they're there is that well, some of them you have to do to get 100% completion and get that platinum trophy. And uh, the procedurally generated ones are there for basically to give you endless content, but it's also a place you can go and farm uh, upgrade materials or find rare uh, variations of weapons and stuff like that. So these are accessed through the hub you have to use uh, special items to open them up. You'll find those items as rewards for beating bosses in the main game. Um, and then once you beat one, you'll get an item that lets you open up the next bespoke one and stuff like that. So 
I do not want to spend a whole lot of time talking about Chalice Dungeons on here. I think that they are cool thematically, and they're pretty bad in practice. Uh, they're, they start out fun. I start out every Bloodborne playthrough with the idea that, like, I'm going to go through, I'm going to get through all the bespoke ones, I'm going to get the Platinum Trophy, beat all the bosses, and then I just... I get so tired of them. They all look the same. They all have mostly the same enemies. And uh, some of the later ones introduce challenges that frankly don't sound fun. And uh, so not my jam. What do you guys think? So um, I did uh, go through the Bespoke Chalice Dungeons to uh, fight the unique boss at the end. There is a unique story boss that you can only fight in the Chalice Dungeons. Um, there are a number of bosses that are ex- and enemies that are exclusive to Chalice Dungeons. Um, it's uh, hard to say how many of them were like cut due to quality or, or like were designed for Chalice Dungeons from the get-go, etc. Um, I think I agree with Dave that the Chalice Dungeons are overall bad, but I mean bad like on the scale of like the rest of the game being incredibly good. Like right. I still would choose, I still would choose the the combat experience of Chalice Dungeons over a lot of other action games, just on that pure mechanical level. But it, it feels like you're meant to kind of experience Chalice Dungeons across new games, new new games, and new game plus because you don't it, it, your progress in Pal- Chalice Dungeons doesn't reset, unlike, you know, the main game, you know, when you go into New Game Plus. So, like, you know, you keep all your progress, and you're kind of, you know, meant to go across multiple New Game Pluses. Of course, you could be stubborn like me and insist on doing it all in New Game, which is, you know, what I eventually did after avoiding Chalice Dungeons for so long. But, um, but yeah, not much I'll say. If you really want just, like, kind of, like, the, quote, the the more game experience with Bloodborne, like, Chalice Dungeons can be fun, especially in multiplayer. I think I think they're a great... I feel like they would... And you can say this about so many things, but I feel like they really do get elevated if you're playing with friends. Just, you know, just for the sake of farming, etc. So I think I'm happy they're there in the end, regardless. But they're definitely not ideal. And I wish they would try the concept one more time, because I feel like... 2022 roguelike and proc gen like developer knowledge and technology would make it so much better because like you look at like dead cells like you know which came out like what they came out 2019 2018 right that it has the same concept with like the kind of like slotted puzzle piece level design with like enemies scattered throughout and, and it's fantastic like so like it can be done i just don't think they did it with bloodborne yeah i wouldn't have too much else to say um cool idea i like how it fits in lore wise but they do get old fast and i'm definitely in the same boat though where i've been going take another swing at it like i want to see them iterate (laughs) on this idea like i was hoping that um like they would introduce a dlc for dark souls 3 that would be another take at the idea i was really hoping for that and i just they haven't they just like completely abandoned that idea (laughs) unfortunately yeah it's a real shame Makes me wonder how much of that was a Japan studio idea versus a FromSoft idea, you know? Mm. Since they helped develop the game. Possible. So if you're playing Bloodborne for the first time, I do recommend you go in and do... Basically play the chalices until you get tired of them. And if you make it mm-hmm. all the way through, cool, good for you. Uh, but you will get... I mean, you'll get uh, experience. You'll get lots and lots of level-ups out of going through, you know, two or three uh, bespoke chalice dungeons. You'll get upgrade materials... 
and uh, stuff like that. You'll get to see some cool enemy designs that only exist in the Chalice Dungeons. There are some interesting boss fights down there. I don't think they... I mean, I think the bespoke bosses are down in the Chalice Dungeons for a reason and not in the main game. I think they're generally weaker than the main game bosses. In the beginning levels, I haven't fought the deeper ones. Uh, Some bosses from the main game have new forms that show up in the Chalice Dungeons. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of those, uh, but anyway, just wanted to uh, mention the Chalice Dungeons. There's also um, kind of a compendium for all of the uh, proc gen seeds for chalice dungeons online now people we they're theoretically infinite but they're not and people have like compiled all of them because bloodborne fans are sickos and so if you (laughs) they're insane if you really need you're like i need a special variation of ludwig's holy blade you can find the exact chalice dungeon where you can go find that. Or you're like, I need to farm these upgrade materials. Where can I get it? You can find the seed, uh, like the code basically to type in and go find those online. If you really need, there's some also where you can get extreme amounts of experience. Uh, So like whatever you need, the, you know, the chalice dungeon deep divers have found the place where you can go do that. But yeah, not a huge fan overall. The only additional comment I want to make about Chalice Dungeons, because it's relevant to the rest of the game, is that the Chalice Dungeons are kind of like, they feel baked into the intended progression of power throughout the game. Yeah. Like, you can play, you can do a full playthrough without Chalices, which is how I've done it almost every single playthrough, but you will have a tangibly much harder time. Uh, Well, maybe not much harder, but you will tangibly have a reasonably harder time as a result. Yeah. So that is one thing that, like, of all the things that I love about the game, and I love more every time I play it, one thing I hate more is when I don't want to do Chalices, which is most times, and just have that feeling of, okay, I'm hitting way too lightly i'm doing way too little damage i'm dying way too quickly i'm very clearly meant to have gotten an extra 10 15 levels just from and you know better gems just from exploring chalices yeah and, yeah. you know i know there are those sickos that found all those dungeons i just gotta tell you this one thing if you tell me you've 100 percent bloodborne and you haven't gotten every set in 99 and you haven't beaten every single one of those literal <laughs> hundreds of proc-gen chalices, I want you to shut the fuck up and go back to your PlayStation 4 and not come talk to me until you've beaten every single one of those dungeons. Because you are a fake Bloodborne player if you've not done every single proc-gen dungeon. Well, I guess I'm out then. Yep. I'm Bye, out Jay. too. Yeah. Bye, Dave. I guess I'm going to edit the podcast myself. Oh, no, no. Come back. I changed my mind. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Moon Moon is right there. You'll um, After a certain early game boss, you'll get the items you need to open up one chalice dungeon. And I think the game intends you to go do it then uh, because you will stay at or a little bit ahead of the power curve if you're doing that. Um, as you go. So you, I think, like I said, you should go in, you should see what they are, see the new enemies and stuff like that. And then just quit playing them when you get tired of them. And, uh, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're like, you're me probably and Jake, okay. well, and like moon said, he doesn't play them on replays either. So like, you'll probably get to a point where you get sick of them because they're just overall not, uh, great. But what is great in Bloodborne is the DLC, which you absolutely, if you're playing Bloodborne, if you're going to buy it, maybe, I don't know. 
Just get wondered, the complete edition. Do you have to start? Do you guys know? Do you have to start a file like start a save game with the DLC already installed? No, no, okay. you don't. Basically, if you start the game with the DLC installed, the items that you need to start the DLC show up in the dream after you beat a particular boss in the vanilla right. game. And if you don't, if you buy the DLC later, which is what I did, if you've already passed that point, then the, then the DLC item will simply spawn into the dream next time you load in okay, there. Okay, cool. When I first beat the game, I didn't go do the DLC until, I'm not going to give any spoilers here, but I was at the point where a specific location drastically changes right before the end. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then I went and did the DLC and came back. This and is fine. The game was over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I, I <laughs> so my recommendation to everyone playing is either buy the complete edition um, and just trust us that the DLC is very good. Or trust me, I assume that you guys uh, agree to some yeah, extent. I- think it's i'd say yep. it's mandatory honestly it's very, yeah yeah if you like the game you gotta play it <laughs> right and then you know if you don't want to if you don't want to spend the extra money for the dlc i have a feeling that if you play the game and you like it let me rephrase that if you start up the game and you like it then you should buy the dlc because the dlc is excellent i think it is it's more difficult than the base game it's like basically like like jake said I think you should do it right before you fight the final boss, uh, or at least very close to the end. Uh, it's difficult, but I think that the DLC has two of my favorite levels uh, in the game, and it has um, maybe three of my top five or top six bosses uh, in the DLC. It's just excellent excellent content and as far as dlc goes from software is usually pretty good with dlc um i don't love the dark souls 1 dlc and i really don't love the dark souls 3 dlc but uh the dark souls 2 dlc is excellent excellent and uh bloodborne is i think i think it's the best dlc that they've done the bloodborne dlc yeah um the story takes you back kind of in time uh you you'll travel backwards through time in the story and kind of find out the origins of some of the things that are happening in the game. And uh, yeah, I've said it's excellent, but the last thing I want to say is that uh, if you have the DLC installed, please, please look at a guide for how to access it because like other from software <laughs> stuff, it is the least intuitive shit possible. Um, and it's because it's something that if you come across it, before you're at the point that you're able to access the DLC, it just kills you. Yeah. Which means that if that's your experience, why would you suddenly go back there because you have some new thing in your inventory? Okay, so I do want to slightly defend it as slightly less unintuitive, mainly for a couple of reasons. One, it is literally you just picking up an item in the hunter's dream and then going to a single area when you compare that to dark souls one where it's like oh kill this mini boss and then go over to this corner and kill this enemy and then talk to this character then go back to this random area that has nothing to do with it and kill this enemy and then go back to this area it is literally just you pick up the consumable from the dream um i feel like when i recently played i checked on this i feel like the description gives you a hint as to where to go I think it, I think it does. does. It kind of does, but as as item descriptions in from software games go, it's not the strongest hint. Yeah, and and the last thing, the last thing I'll say about it is that 
I do agree with Jake. Like, that can put you off to ever wanting to try it again if you happen to get killed by the thing that's supposed to take you to the DLC. However, I will say, later in the game, you do have an... You do have an experience of that same kind of thing happening elsewhere, and it teleports yeah, you somewhere. It's true. So that could be kind of like a hint. Maybe that I'll go check that. Maybe again. I should try that again. That is like, yeah, maybe, that's or, true. Or, yeah, at the very least, it'll go like, oh wait, if I can do this now, maybe I can do it at this other place now too. You know, like I, I think that's a big leap, a logical leap there. Like. Even if it didn't kill you the first time, you you have to go to a certain spot. Not only do you have to go there, but you have to stand still in a certain spot for a few seconds, which is not something you're generally doing in the game. The one thing that it does do is later in the game, you will be deposited in that exact spot uh, later, as far if I remember right. Um, After you beat a certain boss, you will be deposited in this spot and maybe if you just sit still, it'll take you to the DLC. Well, but... you have to remember the spot where the spot where you have to stand has a pickup as well. Like yeah. it has a full yeah. or is a full gear set, and it is. And, and this one is a little bit of a leap, but it is possible that it's be like, oh sweet, let me look at what that is, and then when you're in the menu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway not to belabor this i i just general advice for all from software games for yeah. all from software games may, uh, actually dark souls 3 is nope dark souls 3 you still have to do some obtuse shit before you can access the dlc just go look at a guide type in google how to access bloodborne dlc it's not super yeah. complicated but like you might not figure it out on your own and yeah that would be a, a tragedy because the dlc is excellent 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 so we are going to take a little break when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts about bloodborne before the spoiler wall So time to finish up the non-spoiler section of the show by giving our final thoughts in summary about Bloodborne for people who haven't played or, I mean, people who have played and just want to hear kind of uh, everything condensed down to a summary. Moon, what do you want the listeners to know about Bloodborne? Okay, um, Bloodborne is, God, where do I start? I, I've, I've said my thoughts on this so many times. Um, <laughs> Bloodborne is I already said it, I already kind of spoiled it earlier. It is my favorite game of all time. Um, I think that there is a very, very, there's something very magical about, because from software, like their journey with the Soulsborns, which is basically the only stuff by them I've played. I've played Demon Souls through Sekiro at this point. I'm going to play Elden Ring when it comes out. They've kind of been on this almost singular trajectory towards making like, you know, basically trying to make the pacing of a character action game work within their more complex and fidgety action RPG framework, right? Like, you know, we see that, you know, we definitely see, you know, how that moved forward in Dark Souls 3 and Sekiro after Bloodborne. And 
I feel like there's something really magical about Bloodborne being this like what I feel like this perfect sweet spot where in in where you know when you're in the when you're deep in the throes of combat where you are moving fast and stylishly and just pulling off sick moves with your weapons, but you can still feel like the weight of your character at all times. And I'm not saying that there aren't other character action games that have a good feeling of weight because there are, but you know, the, if you take a look at, you know, like a Bayonetta or a plat or another platinum game, there is this intent, you know, this intentional and good, but this is this feeling of like, you know, being bouncy and light and just being able to like jump and double jump, you know, at your leisure. Whereas Bloodborne, it's like you're shackled to the ground. So when you are in combat, just like, you know, pulling off the sick shit, it, the even if it's not as stylish as a bayonetta or a devil may cry you do kind of feel you kind of feel like that kind of badassery more intensely because you're doing that with shackles on your feet essentially like you know almost literally in terms of like how you move compared to those and you know i desperately desperately wish from would like return to that like particular medium pacing like even if it's just in a bloodborne 2 or something because it's incredibly unique among like like you know not not necessarily the souls like space but like just kind of like the action game space the the melee you know action game space it feels incredibly unique and incredibly good and you know play it it's a good game if you like action games or action rpgs of any description try bloodborne now please right jake what do you want people to know about bloodborne i mean i definitely (laughs) recommend it uh, the people listening can't see, but you too can. Got a Bloodborne tattoo right there on my arm next to the Dark Souls tattoo. Oh, wow. Uh, it says, Lady Maria, will you marry me? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I absolutely love the game. I love the atmosphere. I love how it plays. I love digging into and finding out about the lore, because I'm too dense to get it from the game itself. Um, <laughs> I just, I I love everything about it, and I really want more Bloodborne in some shape or fashion. A a PS5 remaster, a Bloodborne 2, just something. I want something more. (laughs) Just put put it on PC. Could you, you like, imagine if you got people making, like, like a... um randomizer for bloodborne or like or like daughters of ash for bloodborne yeah like scorch contract scorch contract for bloodborne they could do some cool stuff i don't do mods (laughs) that would change my mind it's like yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh yeah you would yeah you would also get you know the thomas the tank engine mods and the you know wifey titty mods and stuff like that too so i mean yes you you can filter the mods you're gonna use it's not mandatory yeah. All right. To kind of wrap up what I think about Bloodborne, uh, this is, yeah, like I said in the opening, this is definitely one of my favorite games ever. It's probably, it's my favorite of the uh, Souls games, which are all games that are like very, very special to me. This one's definitely my favorite one of those. And I just think it's like the the flavor of Bloodborne. We didn't talk so much about like the, you know, uh, the the storyline of like the the beasts and the Lovecraftian stuff, but all that flavor on top of the combat that Moon described. That's it's really expressive. It's really uh, flashy and it's stylish. Uh, really, really good and fun. And 
yeah, it's closer to a traditional action game. Like it's not hack and slash because if you just, you know, tap, 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 you're going to die in Bloodborne most of the times, but it is closer to that. So it does get like more action into it. It's a little bit less uh, methodical than the Dark Souls games. So this is definitely one of my favorite games ever. I think that uh, if you have a, a PlayStation, PS4, or PS5, I, I think you should try this. It's it's definitely one of the best exclusive games. Um, if you have an Xbox or PC, basically if you don't have a PlayStation, I hope you get a chance uh, someday if they put it on PC or something like that because uh, this is a really special game. Magical is a good word for it that Moon used. So very, very good game. Before we get into spoilers, Jake and Moon, is there anything you guys want to uh, plug? YouTube channels, social media, anything like that? Twitch channels? Well, uh, since uh, I was last on, I've started, uh, I've started, you know, more regularly and seriously uploading to YouTube for some godforsaken reason. I want to turn to like PewDiePie or whatever. Um, I, anyway, I, I just kind of, I do have a YouTube channel where I just kind of like upload, you know, just like gameplay, sometimes let's play, sometimes commentary, etc. Um, you can find me there at uh, Stylish Moonborn. Uh, Stylish has three S's. When you look it up, there will be fancy S's. And Moonborn <laughs> has an E at the end, just like Bloodborne. Um, uh, just uh, today, in fact, I put up a uh, uh, because my birthday was yesterday. I just put up a special um, commentated playthrough of uh, the Letter V six times, which is one of my favorite. You know, one of my favorite indie games. I play a lot of action games, a lot of Souls likes, a lot of Metroidvanias. If you like any of that, maybe check it out. You might find something you like. Is that the proper way to pronounce the name of that game? I always just did. V-v-v-v. See, I in my head, I've always pronounced it v v v v v v, but then uh-huh. I realize how idiotic that sounds, you know, out loud. And but the the <laughs> official it has three official pronunciations, which are v, v six, and the letter v six times. Those are all official pronunciations according to the developer. Okay. So, okay, Jake, how about you, man? I've got nothing. <laughs> Good man. Um, I used to have a podcast that I did regularly. I do not anymore, so I show up here and there like on the show. Okay. Oh, no, they're smarter than both of us, Dave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, like, imagine not having three social media accounts that you need to, uh, or three accounts on each social media platform uh, between my personal things and two podcasts. I'm frankly jealous uh, that there's not a whole lot to uh, to mention there. So anyway, uh, I will put links to uh, Moonborn stuff down in the episode description. Uh, please, please check out what he's doing. We are going to move into the spoiler section for Bloodborne. But first, uh, I want to say if you're going to tap out now because you don't want Bloodborne spoilers, thank you for listening this far. Go play Bloodborne and come back later. And if you want to support Tales from the Backlog, the best thing that you can do is to subscribe on your platform of choice, leave ratings and reviews. That is helpful. Help me fight the algorithm. And let's see. Yeah. Follow the social media pages. Those links are in the episode description. Talk to me about Bloodborne. I'll be posting some gameplay videos and stuff like that from my most recent playthrough. I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast, where each episode we pick a topic and we do our top three. And uh, we did an episode last year called Top 3 Video Games of the 2010s Decade, and uh, Bloodborne came up. 
So go listen to that. Uh, That is a fun show. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into spoilers for Bloodborne. Oh, also, Bloodborne boss tier list episode coming later this week. Almost forgot. Okay, music. I am back with Jake and Moonborn talking spoilers for Bloodborne, and we're going to get started with kind of the story of it all and what what's happening as you go. So like, and this is my own understanding as someone who doesn't read item descriptions and has only, you know, I listen to podcasts and stuff like that, but I actually tell myself all the time, like, this is the playthrough where I'm going to stop and read the item descriptions. And then I get halfway through Central Yarnum and I'm like, oh, I haven't read an item description in three hours and I picked up 35 items. Well, I guess I'm not reading those. So (laughs) uh, basically, here's how I understand it. So a team of university professors and students uh, at Bergenworth, right, Um, uncover the remains of an ancient civilization underneath the city of Yarnum. They find a great one. Yeah, a cosmic mm-hmm. deity um and they use its blood its blood is the source of the blood ministration right or the source of the healing properties it's, it's a bit convoluted in a way that we probably can't get too into but there yeah. are kind of like <laughs> two backstories to bloodborne one that's in the chalice dungeons and one that's in the dlc the dlc right kind of obviates it but not exactly what ends up happening is that the chalice dungeons tell the story of like the civilization that existed before the people of Yarnum, and you know the and the dlc tells a story of the you know of the origin of the blood and you know the curse etc the the great one costs in the dlc that's where they get the old blood is my understanding if i'm not mistaken okay and then yeah the the great one that they find in the chalice dungeons is somehow different yeah i don't really remember the d de- i don't i'm not as versed on the chalice dungeons lore as much as i am on the dlc lore not that i'm an expert on either but you know it's like right okay well anyway so the point is they're they're using the the blood of great ones to like give these healing properties to this blood ministration right that's what's yeah um, yeah the, the the blood strengthens it heals it is the cure all that some people pretend weed is basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's the um uh it's the the detox of the uh um the bloodborne universe so anyway uh but the uh the problem with this here blood ministration is that there is a um a uh curse or a plague associated with it right so this is where the beast plague comes from is from using this blood 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it comes from using the blood and also because they got cursed for what they did to Koss. Right, basically. so everything comes together. So um, that's why at the beginning of Bloodborne, uh, you're meant to go out and hunt beasts. And uh, this is the cause of the beasthood uh, curse. So you'll see lots of enemies that have turned into like, you know, werewolf type things. And then yep. the uh, the prominent figures like in the healing church you come across them and they're these even more hideous like beast monstrosities. Yeah. And um, yeah. So like, it's, I guess the combination of this um, using the blood of cosmic deities, which is frankly um, bad idea, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if I come across a cosmic deity, probably going to leave its blood alone. And then you have the <laughs> curse of uh, what the, I think like the original hunters, right did to a great one uh, in the fishing hamlet, which yeah. is the DLC story. And then yeah, they get a see, curse yeah. put upon them. Yeah, you know, it's like probably not a good idea to mess with that old blood. It's like, you know, I too, but I understand because, you know, I too see an alien's blood and think, well, Jesus was kind of an alien and he said to drink his blood. So, you I know. Just <laughs> inject this shit right in my yeah. veins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, we have the beast plague and then we also have the kind of storyline with the uh, great ones, people trying to create great ones, people trying to uh, maybe ascend themselves as far as I understand it. And yep. then we have this introduction of the the nightmare uh, that a lot of the hunters are subject to because of a, uh, a curse that was put on them due to their uh, misdeeds. Uh, just one lore thing that i really love is that maria is there guarding the secret to the curse basically keeping you out so that you don't uh understand this but we do have this kind of like nightmare world real world if it even is all real um Mm -hmm. some of the levels are like obvious nightmares like it's in the name you know nightmare frontier nightmare of Nemesis. Uh, all but, all but one nightmare. of the nightmare levels have nightmare in the title, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that is uh, that. This is like this is where I start to get a little bit confused, and there's a lot of lore and stuff that I just not that it's not interesting, but it's just kind of in one ear and out the other when I play. I'm I'm much more about the play of Bloodborne, just like in Dark Souls. Though, like when I do have a podcast not this podcast, but a different podcast or a YouTube video laying out the story of it. I really, really like it. I think it's really cool. So yeah. Um, there is a cool theory though, that, uh, I have asked uh, moon to, um, briefly describe, which is that the nightmare exists in layers, uh, which is very cool to think about. So can you tell the listeners if they haven't heard of it, uh, what is the nightmare layer theory? Oh, come on, I, I learned about the nightmare layers in second grade. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was too busy eating crayons to learn about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I don't know if this is supposed to be some kind of like Lovecraftian idea or not, but the nightmare realm in Bloodborne, theoretically, and this is one of the, and I know. I know that, like, you know, Soulsborne is full of a lot of theories, and who knows how many of them are, like, actually, like, you know, have have water to them. But this one, I, I personally feel, is pretty well supported explicitly in the game. The idea is that the Nightmare Realm is layered, with the 
older nightmares being kind of like at the bottom and the newer nightmares being layered each on top of it. And the way the theory works is that you have the Hunter's Nightmare, which is the first area from the DLC, um, at the very bottom. On top of that, you have Fishing Hamlet, which is the last area in the DLC. It is also physically, it is also literally physically elevated above where Hunter's Nightmare is, like if you pay attention to what you're doing, because after Hunter's Nightmare, you actually go upwards, like, you know, to get to where the um, Fishing Hamlet is. But more importantly, when you go to Fishing Hamlet, like most of it is water, right? Because it's a fishing village. If you look into the water, you can clearly see the reflection of the Hunter's Nightmare in the water. So like the idea is that the Hunter's Nightmare is beneath the water, beneath Fishing Hamlet. And then beyond that, you have the Nightmare Frontier, which is an optional area in the main game which a lot of people dislike, but I kind of like that area nowadays. But that's besides the point. You know, that is the it is an optional <laughs> area. And it's kind of like this weird, like, I guess you could say it's almost like a kind of like, it has this kind of weird, like, Super Mario 64 energy to it, where it's just kind of like a level suspended in the air with like an abyss around you. Mm-hmm. And if you look into the abyss, you can see like these masts of like broken and like shipwrecked ships. these wrecked ships like kind of poking out from underneath where the abyss is and fishing hamlet has a bunch of wrecked ships just kind of like poking upward so like you know the idea is like you have hunter's nightmare and then fishing hamlet on top of it and then the um and then the nightmare frontier on top and that's the basics of the theory there is a little more to it because like for example nightmare of mensis which is the last area in the base game like you can actually see nightmare frontier in the distance so presumably you know the presumably the nightmare of mentis is at the same level as the nightmare frontier above where you know the fishing helmet is etc but the the real basics of it is just kind of those three that like there's at least these three layers and the event and the events kind of you know the, the nightmares kind of exist in sequence starting from the bottom and going up yeah and it's it's just a a cool like, I don't really get down with a lot of fan theories uh, for most things, uh, actually, but that is something that's really cool. And once you start to point out, like, hey, if you look down or if you look up in these certain areas, you can see uh, things that look like other areas from the game. And that's really cool. And since uh, since it is like a nightmare space, that is, um, I guess, more feasible. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it is pretty cool. Um, but what I do, uh, really like to, um, talk about is the, uh, the gameplay. Actually, we should talk about the, uh, the endings for Bloodborne. Um, I have beaten the game twice, so I have gotten both of the endings where you say no to, uh, German at the end and you, um, I got the, uh, the squid ending, um, and I got the, actually, are there four endings or are there three? Three. There are three. Yeah, three. there are okay. three. Uh, yeah, so I got the, um, I got the ending where you're sitting in German's chair, mm-hmm. and then I got the squid <laughs> ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are uh, those are the ones I got. There's the other one where German asks you to submit, and you accept, and he cuts your head off, which I think is a great. Uh, I just I think that's very funny for a way for you to end this game. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it shows you I've kind had of like this shit waking up it's called like the morning ending or something like that uh, uh yarnum sunrise yarnum sunrise right <laughs> i should I make was... a cocktail called the yarnum sunrise yeah yeah i feel like it's, that uh, exists i think i've heard of that it's a hmm. uh, 
I don't know, a, a tequila sunrise with a little bit of uh, like blood? eldritch blood. blood. Yeah. <laughs> um, one it's thing a tequila, that's really—it's cool, a tequila sunrise where you cut yourself when you were making the garnishes. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> one thing that I thought was really cool is uh, I was actually watching Moon stream uh, his most recent playthrough, and Moon did like full beast hood, so his character was like <laughs> a a werewolf man. And uh, Jake, I don't know if you saw this in the Slack, but um, oh, should I should I explain it? Yeah, go ahead. It's I I cracked up laughing okay, watching. Yeah, the yeah we here. both cracked up. Basically, yeah. I was basically one of the things I'm doing with the, with these kind of playthroughs I'm doing of the series is I'm trying to play them with kind of like the experience and commentary for like maybe someone who doesn't play these games still wants to get a vicarious experience. Which is basically of me saying, you know, in Bloodborne, I tried to do all the side quests. I tried to do the, quote, most complete, hardest to get ending. And one of the things you have to do for the ending is you have to collect certain consumables and then use them before we're in the, the spoilers. Final boss. You can say umbilical cords and okay, okay, all yeah. That. You yeah. collect umbilical cords and you eat them. Yeah. Um, it's like, <laughs> as so you, you do, you basically, yeah. basically, 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 there are, um, arcane like i guess kind of like great one infants umbilical cords that you can collect throughout the game there are four of them four thirds is a lovecraft thing i don't know to what degree but you know it's a third umbilical cord but there's four of them but you need three of them and if you do that and then beat the final boss you will unlock a true final boss after that and what i did was you know i was going to save the umbilical cords just kind of like for dramatic effect i was going to save them all before the final boss and then consume them and then fight the boss I forgot to do that, and to beat the boss, I um, there's a kind of build you can do where you turn into a werewolf, basically, and you know, and it, and it basically what it does is that you take more damage, but you also do way more damage. So I completely wrecked the final boss, and now which is the ending where you basically kind of take the final boss's place as yeah. the keeper of the dream. You're kind of the man, the old man in the wheelchair, and I was like, oh shoot, I forgot to. I, I forgot to use the umbilical cords and because I was it, because it just uses your character as they are with their full gear and everything you just see like the doll wheel me up in a wheelchair and I'm just this big <laughs> hulking werewolf man like he's like you see you see the close-up on his hand and it's just this huge werewolf hand like yeah you know, like I'm you know, just about to break about to break the wheelchair in half like like so like, good. Like, 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 like I'm like I'm really gonna try to like catfish someone and be like oh yeah I won't bite you you know all the more to it's see fine. you with my dear like, it, just... it was excellent uh, it's watching, so good watching the uh watching the just like i like i could tell moon was really disappointed that he forgot to eat the umbilical cords and like not gonna get the uh the final boss fight but then as soon as it showed his it's like the dawning realization like i'm still in beast form oh he's in beast form in the cutscene. he's just a the doll wheeling this like kind of brain dead werewolf around the hunter's (laughs) dream was really really funny so it's so good yeah uh jake um i don't know how many times you've completed bloodborne but there is there an uh an ending that you really like in particular i mean i love the just weirdness of becoming a a squid baby yeah Yeah. great one (laughs) and the doll just holding you it's so good cradling you like a baby yeah but you know one of the things like you said where you can basically just submit to Garman and then not fight him or the moon presence um 
and then the amount of optional stuff in the game. If you're looking at the base game, no, not the DLC, there's 17 bosses, and you can beat the game fighting seven bosses. Yeah. Of the 17. There's a lot that are optional. You know, there's a, and there's a yeah, lot it's that... it's so weird to, to think of it that way. Like, it's crazy to me, because I'm like, I always just fight everything. I go everywhere. It's what right. I do. Like, it, it feels like Blood Starved Beast is a mandatory part of the playthrough, but it's not. I mean, not even the Cleric Beast is. Interestingly enough, if you if you beat the Cleric Beast, what you can do is you can beat the Cleric Beast, and then you can buy you can buy an emblem at the shop that unlocks the front door to the Grand Cathedral, as opposed right. to going to where the Blood Starved Beast is, which unlocks a different door through the back. If you do that and you buy the emblem, when you go on to New Game Plus, you don't have to buy either of them because you keep the hunt, you keep the you keep the item from the Cleric Beast that allows you to buy the Hunter Chief emblem. So you can totally skip both. So New Game Plus actually technically has, if you play your cards right, has one less required boss than you know <laughs> than the than your original playthrough does, which is pretty right. interesting. So, um, I wanted to do a quick. I uh, actually want to do a quick uh, couple of top threes uh, as we kind of bring as we get into like talking full spoilers instead of going level by level or going boss by boss. Cause there's just frankly too much uh, for this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have uh, made entire careers doing level by level boss by boss character by character breakdowns of bloodborne. Um, just want to get a quick top three levels uh, that you guys have. So I don't know if you guys thought of this ahead of time, but I'll go ahead and uh, say my three off the top of my head, uh, Central Yarnum, uh, the first level is, it's big, it's really big, um, you know, but it is like your undead Berg and it is teaching you basically everything you need to know about the game, all the basic mechanics uh, you'll learn about in Central Yarnum. So that's in there. Uh, the research hall in the DLC is in my top three, just spooky more spooky than the average level, I think. And like you see the horrors that they're doing uh, to people in that place are, and those those liquid things in bags that you can talk to are so goddamn mm-hmm. creepy. Uh, so that's in there. And then I will also say that I really love, well, the fishing hamlet. Um, those whales are really fucking hard and I kind of get sick of them sometimes, but I love the... Like the design, how everything is covered in barnacles. Um, I I love how it's full of these villagers turned fishmen. Um, yeah, love the fishing hamlet. So that's my top three: Central Yarnum, the Research Hall, and the Fishing Hamlet. My top three here. When I talk about top stuff, you know, some people are very critical about it, and they'll be like, "It's my top because it's the the." best mine is totally how i feel about the atmosphere Uh and or lore and story of the area yeah um yeah so so two of mine are are the same as two of yours dave my first one is also central yarnum and it's totally that that atmosphere that you first get dumped into um it's creepy it's spooky it's a great level learning what to do you spend four ever there on your first playthrough and then Mm -hmm. on future ones you can get through it pretty dang quick um it's just a great first area uh my next one is forsaken canehurst castle 
Oh yeah. Cuz it's it's so different from everything else. Um this snowy castle and the enemies are very different. I hate the freaking bloodsuckers though outside. Yeah. I hate those things immensely. I hate fighting them. They bug the crap out of me. Um but then you get into this like haunted castle, you're fighting ghosts and gargoyles and it's so different and it's a really fun contained story like the lore for that is it very much its own contained little thing that does connect to other outside things but i just really enjoy that as this little offshoot you go and you do it you know and that's kind of it um and then my other one is also fishing hamlet again the atmosphere there is just amazing i love how it's a different type of villagers becoming beasts because you start the game and it's villagers becoming werewolf-type beasts, and then here it's villagers becoming fish-type beasts. And it's just cool showing that there's different ways this could go, which gives really cool ideas for, you know, if they ever make sequels. You could be in a desert area with, like, lizard-type beasts. Like, there's so much they could do with it. Like, it's not, you know, confined to one type of thing, and it just shows that. And... Again, the atmosphere and the lore of what happened there is so good. Yeah, for sure. Kanehurst is one of my favorites too. Um, just like like you said, just exploring a a spooky castle and a good boss fight in there too, as we'll talk about a little bit later, I think. But yeah, good. Um, Moon, how about you? Oh man, uh, <laughs> I, I like so many of them. Um, it's you know i've played the game so many times it's gotten to the point that like i only have one area i really dislike and that would be hunter's nightmare honestly for a number of reasons hunter's nightmare. um mm-hmm. yeah just just yeah just it, it could it could just be i did not have fun last time i played played it but um but favorites i'm gonna just do them in chronological i'm gonna do them in game chronological order rather than preferred order because i can't decide between the three sure. um i think i'm going to go with uh central yarnum that is without a doubt my favorite starting area in a Soulsborne. like uh-huh. you know they've really captured they really captured that kind of demon souls one one like with all the looping shortcuts and everything and all the places you can go pretty well um i also really like uh i already forgot what my second answer was um i really uh oh shoot I can't believe I forgot. Um, I had three of them <laughs> in my head. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. I um. This this one's gonna make this gonna this one's gonna like send everyone to the shadow realm. Um, I really like uh, Forbidden Woods a lot. Oh, I really do too. It's good. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I um. Yeah, it is an area that I understand why people really dislike because it is really easy to get lost and get super frustrated. And I don't want to be the person who invalidates the first playthrough because the first playthrough, the first impression does matter. But just because me personally, because I've played the game so many times, like I do, like I've come to really know that area. And when you kind of know that particular area, all the different places you can go into it are really cool and good. Yeah. I love the Forbidden Woods too. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. And for three, hmm. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Castle Kanehurst. Castle Kanehurst is really, really, really cool. Like, that is just... Like, I don't have anything special to say about it that hasn't already been said, but, you know, it is 
it is really cool how, like, you know, you come from the land of werewolves, and then you go to the land of your enemies, which is the land of vampires, you know, because, of course, they hate you. They're vampires. They don't like werewolves. So, you know, <laughs> everyone enemies. knows yeah. this. This is common. Yeah. They're natural enemies. Yeah. That's what I yeah. learned in yep. second grade. Uh, never, never, yeah. never, never let a vampire <laughs> into your house, silly boy. It leaves you powerless. Yeah. I mean, um, we all learned that from uh, Kate Beckinsale, right? I was thinking Lost Boys, but... <laughs> I want to throw an honorable mention to Old Yarnum, uh, which is... Oh, uh, yeah. Um, for having, like, some very direct storytelling, uh, more mm-hmm. direct than From usually does with their anim- or with their areas. Uh, you know, the yeah. story about how the church basically burned the town and locked the doors to try and contain the beasts in there or get rid of them. Um, everybody's favorite NPC hunter, Jura, <laughs> in Old Yarnum. <laughs> Uh, the shock that you get the first time you go in and he starts firing that Gatling gun at you. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. Um, and uh, and the big ass uh, like cathedral where they're burning the uh, the blood the yeah. bloodstar beast oh, corpse so cool. up there. It's and you can so know, cool. yeah, you can t- you can set everything on fire and all that. It's yeah. so great. Yep. It's a it's a very very good level both. Um, thematically i guess story-wise and then also like play-wise it's really really good i still can't beat jura without getting him to uh, roll off the edge of the um the platform i've never beaten him fair (laughs) which fuck him he doesn't fight fair either so fuck him yeah i think the first time i beat him i didn't know about the edge thing and i eventually beat him fair and then every single yeah. time since then, I'm like, I'm just knocking that guy off. This is not yep. worth it. <laughs> yeah. If I had to choose some uh, honorable mentions, um, yeah, if I had to choose honorable mentions, I would definitely go with um, uh, Nightmare Mensis. I actually really like Nightmare Mensis. Um, I do. I re- Once you get past the frenzy section at the beginning, I really like yeah. it too. But the frenzy section at the beginning fucking sucks. But yeah, like <laughs> I really like Nightmare Mensis. I really like... Um, Shoot, what's it called? Um, I do really like Cathedral War, just, you know, kind of for the reasons I mentioned earlier. I do like how it's kind of like the center of this world. And I kind of like Nightmare Frontier quite a bit, too. I think that's another one that, like Forbidden Woods, <laughs> y'all can't see it, but they're, like, shaking their heads disappointedly at me. <laughs> I, I hate um, Nightmare Frontier so much. I don't hate it as much as Yahargul and Sea yeah, Village. yeah. Yeah, Yahargul sucks. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. the other one I didn't like this playthrough. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Nightmare Frontier, to me, it's a, it's a similar reasoning to Forbidden Woods, where, like, it really, really, really blows until you actually get to really know the area. Then it's kind of cool, in my opinion. Even though I really wish it was, like, connected to somewhere else, rather than kind of being, like, you know, a dead end, basically. My, if I was going to do an honorable mention, um, it would be Henwick Charnel, Charnel Lane. The uh, that place scares the crap out of me. It is the scariest place to me because the cackling witches and stuff yep. freaks me out, and I am freaked Those out every time I play it. Get me more and than any other. That's, that's why I like it. Is that one is just it does such a good job of just suddenly bringing in the terrifying witch feeling of like Baba Yaga and old myths like that. Uh-huh. Just this ter- terrifying witches that want to eat you. And yeah. it, it's so good at it. It is. It is very good. And like a top for time's sake, we're doing a top three. And also because of uh, my other podcast, I can't really think of lists in other form because my brain is poisoned now. But the uh, 
areas, like I, I think Moon said, there's only a couple areas that I would say I really, really dislike in Bloodborne. Uh, most of them are, at the very least, uh, good and interesting in some way. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the ones that we've kind of highlighted here, a lot of them are excellent um, at something. Um, my first time playing the game, this is something that I think is very interesting that's been brought up on uh, other podcasts. Um, I Like, if, if you're listening to this and you really love Bloodborne and you haven't listened to Bonfireside Chat, go listen to that because they, they do such an excellent job of going through the game Uh, breaking it down but this is something that they talk about on their show a lot that kind of got me interested in this is when you first played the game or maybe even on replays which bosses do you think are really really hard because our lists i think are going to be very different uh, from each other because we're all good at certain things and we're all not very good at certain things and different bosses are testing different things so uh, my first playthrough i Really had a hard time with the Blood Starved Beast. Uh, really had a hard time with Rom. Um, I think I fought Dark Beast Parl too early, and I had a really hard time with uh, with Parl Ludwig. I could not beat by myself. I had to summon help. Um, and then Orphan of Cost took me like fifteen to twenty tries, but I had a lot of fun uh, doing it. So I don't really count costs in that. But those were the ones that. I found really difficult my first time. So before we talk about uh, top three bosses and kind of wrap this episode up, what what bosses stand out to you as ones that gave you the most trouble? Okay. Um, well, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but because Bloodborne was my first, Soulsborne and I played proper, uh, almost every single boss was a wall by which i mean a boss like to this day like you know whenever you know y'all see like you know when we get into discussions about hard bosses in the series you know someone will say that a boss is a wall and then i'll find out that they that it took them six tries and i kind of scoff because like to me like just kind of like you know i've been like you know miyazaki has abused me and traumatized (laughs) me to the point where like if it takes less than an hour it's not a wall to me but like but aside from that a special walls um a lot of the obvious ones um orphan on my first playthrough orphan of cost was was orphan of cost and um and uh and lawrence and lawrence the first vicar those were both bosses that I just kept ping-ponging between literally for, like, two, three weeks to beat them. <laughs> like, that was all I did for two for about two, three weeks. Just kept, like, going between one and the other to try to beat them. So those were the last bosses I had left, and I had a really hard time with them. And this is when I didn't understand builds either. So, like, I had this really, like, I didn't understand RPGs at all at the time. So, like, I had this messed up build where I was like, oh, well, I'll put... 30 points in a strength, because that sounds good. Oh, well, I, I found a cannon that requires 40... I found a cannon that requires um 40 blood change. Let me level up blood change, even though I'm using no blood change weapons. Like, you know, just dumb stuff like that. So, like, my build was... And my damage output was really bad, right? Um, aside from that, uh, I definitely got stuck on ROM. Um, I definitely got stuck on... Uh, who else? Uh, not Bl- Bloodstar Beast wasn't too bad. Um, Gascoin wasn't too bad 
Vicar Amelia was a boss I got stuck on for many playthroughs. Like, I always, like, that, like, the kind of difficulty she has at that point in the game, for some reason, tends to feel pretty rough to me. Um, even one's... though I, I finally got, even though I finally gotten better at it in more recent playthroughs. Yeah. Vicar Amelia is one where, like, it's not so much that she's really hard. It's just like if you don't have your build figured out and you're not doing yeah. enough damage, she can be like quite literally impossible to beat if you don't have the DPS, if you haven't been upgrading your weapons and stuff. So, uh, Jake, what are the, the wall bosses for you? So my uh, my dirty little secret with Soulsborns <laughs> is that until the last couple years i was always way too scared to try to beat bosses on my own i always summoned um for the most part for the most part i would give a boss like one or two tries on my own just to see what it's like and then summon like every time um but i I summoned my way through dark souls 3 based like probably over half of those bosses i summoned help to beat so like no shame there it's a game mechanic I think Dark Souls 3 is the only one at this point where I have beat every single boss on my own at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the only one that, I, that I've done that. Um, Bloodborne, though, my first time playing it, uh, the major walls for me, the first one was Father Gascoigne. Um, because I ran into Cleric Beast without realizing it and beat it on my first try. And I was like, holy crap, how did I do that? I must be good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got this. And I got my butt handed to me over and over um, by Father Gascoigne. I can beat him now pretty easily. Like, because you just, you have to be aggressive. You have to dodge into him. And that was so hard for me at first. I was always backing away. And that's a death sentence with him. You back away, you're done. Um, you just, you just got to fight him like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Get on the stairs and make sure you're above him. Yeah, I've, never the the I've never done I've the stairs. I've never done the stairs either. That, nope, that's, I didn't do it this time, but every previous playthrough, like that was always how I did it. Was get on the stairs and make sure I'm not at level with him. Yeah, yeah, for me, it's uh, dodge through, get behind, hit, dodge through, yeah. get behind, hit. Yeah, just be aggressive. He's, a, he's as amazingly heck. well. He's an amazingly well designed boss, and you yes, no, I appreciate you appreciate that more when you learn the move set because he really does exactly. Fight like, you know? yeah. yeah, but he was. <laughs> wall for me (laughs) he's a great test uh at the end of Mm -hmm. central yarnum to see if you're ready for the rest of the game uh i i just parry the shit out of gascoin now he's really easy to parry once you're comfortable with it yeah uh um kind of uh okay any more yeah so my other walls um bloodstarved beast like you said um it can still throw me for a loop sometimes now i i'm better but that thing is so aggressive, and then it gets the poison around it, and I'm just yep. ugh. Um, and then Mario Legarius, tough as balls to me. He is ridiculous, and uh, Ludwig, Ludwig, of Ludwig, course. I yeah. mean, he's everyone is like, what the he's hell with him? Pretty insane. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe I didn't say Ludwig because that's the boss I literally spent eleven hours to beat solo on my <laughs> second playthrough. Yeah, that was a big wall for me. Yeah, he's real hard. The other side yeah. of that coin, uh, guys, give me one boss that other people say is really hard that you didn't have trouble with. Let's brag a little bit. I, I got mine because both of you put Rom in it. I have uh-huh. never not first tried Rom. He is okay. so easy to me every time. And I started hearing people say he was hard, and I was like, 
What? And it, it's funny because there are those bosses that are just yeah. totally different for people. Yep. Well, I I beat the only boss I beat the first time was Celestial Emissary, and nobody else thinks that's easy, right? <laughs> right? Oh, right? um, you just reminded me, Abriatus was a huge wall the first oh, playthrough. I, I could too. not that's beat right. Abriatus. Mm-hmm. Um, my one that everyone says is really hard that I've never had trouble with is Lawrence. Um, I've beaten Lawrence on the second try, both playthroughs. And wow. Then, I heard like I heard Moon. I actually watched you fight Lawrence like a hundred times on your recent stream, yeah. Moon. And uh, yeah. I heard like the guys on Bonfire Side chat talk about how difficult he was. And I just like I don't know. I just kind of unlocked it somehow. I've never had any trouble with Lawrence. But like like I said, it's okay to brag about some of these because like uh, like you said, uh, Jake, you think Rom is easy and you feel good about that and. I get fucked up by Rom's uh, like crystal from the sky attack consistently. You just um, run. Yeah, I mean, it just, yeah. but it always <laughs> takes me like three or four attempts like, to I, get it, and I get tagged by spiders. And I didn't even have a hard time with Rom in the Chalice Dungeons when you fight Rom in a much smaller space, he, and everyone says pillars. how much harder that makes it. There's pillars um, to block the uh, the magic in the Chalice Dungeon fight. It's true. Least. To me, the only thing was, since it was smaller, the 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 spiders that run around were more annoying. They were harder yeah. to get around and to take care of, but I was still able to do it. It was a lot closer than in the big arena, but I still did it, I, I think, on my first try. It was a lot of, like, running and healing. Like, it took me a while. It wasn't just mm-hmm. going and beat it, but oh. I survived. <laughs> oh, you know what? No, for me, the boss I thought was easy was Abriatus because I unwittingly played against her right before they pashed out, like, where oh. you can just kind of, like, get stuck between, like, oh. her back tail or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, I beat her in only a few tries, and I was like, oh, wow, this is so easy. You can totally just get behind her. But then on future playthroughs, nope. They nope. fixed it. <laughs> yeah, my my roast, my most recent playthrough. I was proud of myself because I did beat all the bosses for uh, for the first time by myself, uh, including Ibridus and Ludwig, who I thought were just impossible. My first uh, playthrough, I actually had yeah. to get on um, the the subreddit where you can uh, find people to help you. Uh, that's a good subreddit, by the way. Yes, uh, I it think is Hunter's it's Bell. Hunter's Bell. Yeah, if you're listening yeah. to this and you're like. Um, I need help, but like I don't know anyone who plays Bloodborne. Get on there because there are people who would love to come help you fuck up Ludwig yeah. or something like that. I think that's how I beat um, Orphan of Cuss. Mm. Was just went on Hunter's Bell and was like, "Somebody please help me!" And it even took us with the person that was like, "Yeah, I can do that." It took us like five or six times, but they would just keep. They're like, "Let's try it again. Let's try it again," and we eventually got it. Nice. Yeah. And the same thing when I played Dark Souls three, I used the mm-hmm. summon sign subreddit a lot. Yep, uh, to get to get help. I yeah. use that to get my platinum. People let me farm them for the uh, collectibles you need, like the vertebrae right, yeah. shackles and stuff. <laughs> there are, it's a uh, it's a colossal waste of time uh, for people to be summoned in and let you kill them. But um, there are people They're who will uh, will help yeah. you out for sure. They're like for sure, do it. Actually, now that I think about it. Bloodborne and Dark Souls 2 are the only ones where I beat all the bosses by myself. I couldn't find anyone to summon in Dark Souls 2, 
Um, Bloodborne, <laughs> I beat all of them by myself. I can't beat Ornstein and Smo by myself in Dark Souls 1 or Manus. But anyway, um, not to get too far into the other games. So we talked about the ones that we think are really hard for us personally. Lord we Dark talked Beast. about the ones... Sorry, I, I had to say that. I forgot that was the single hardest boss in the game for me. I hate that boss so much. Which one? Aloran Dark Beast. It is oh. the cha- it is the chalice version of Dark Beast Parl, but somehow like the mo it, it somehow showcases all the bad things about the game in a single boss. The frame rate takes <laughs> to the teens. The camera goes wonky so you can never see him. You flat out whiff your attacks, whether you're targeting him or not targeting him because of the weird skeletal body. It's just this weird, super hard mode version of Dark Peace Parl. Parl, they insisted on making one of the required bosses on the way to the um, end of the Chalice Dungeon story, basically. <laughs> yeah, I think my most recent playthrough, I stalled out at the uh, watchdog of the old lords, not the defiled one, the just the regular one, because it oh. has some absolutely <laughs> horseshit hitboxes. It got me, got me really frustrated, so I, I stalled out in there. Um, Moon, have you fought Queen Yarnum? Yes, I've 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 done yeah I've I've done Queen Yarnum. Yes, is Yarnum in your top three uh, bosses? No, she's a cool okay. boss, but she is not in my top three. Okay, cool. I just kind of wondered like since it is almost like a, a another final boss, you know, like at the yeah. depths of the chalices. And so it's like, I never wanted to go through the chalices because of those ones where they put you at half health and you can just get killed in one hit. But is Yarnum actually fun to fight? Yeah, it's a cool and interesting boss fight with unique mechanics. It is just not like, let me put it this way. If you're not as obsessive as I am and, like, you know, you hate the Chalice Dungeons the way, you know, most of us in here seem to and the way a lot of people might, I do not think that it is worth the time investment just to get this one story boss on a mechanical level. It okay. is thematically cool. Like, you know, you do see, like, cool things like um, like Murgo crying is actually part of the mechanics in that boss fight, which is kind of interesting. Like that is like an audio audio tell for something she's about to do. But the, I would not, but it definitely wasn't like this, like mind blowing revel. And I wasn't expecting it to be, but like, it wasn't like this mind blowing revelation. Like, Oh my God. Like, 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 you know, I can't believe they put a boss. This amazing behind the chalices. Like it it wasn't like, it definitely wasn't like one of my favorites. Like, even though I really liked it, it was really good, but that makes me feel a little bit better. Sorry, yeah. Jake, I didn't mean to exclude you. I I had forgotten. Did you say you actually got to the bottom of the chalices oh, no. or not? Okay. No, I never have. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, I've seen some... Um, I, I've seen gameplay videos of uh, Queen Yarnum in that fight. It looks interesting, but like I've also heard people talk about their horror stories fighting the defiled amygdala and yeah. stuff like that, or amygdala. And I'm just like, you know... I I didn't even get that far in the chalices before I got bored. Now I'm going to go like bang my head against that. Probably not. Friend, friend, I have to show you my video where I beat them in like 20 seconds because of the magic of 99 arcade. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think that's the build I went, that's the build I went with for chalices. And I still had a hard time against some of those bosses, by the way, but yeah. So as much as I love bloodborne, even though I would say it's probably my favorite game, there's still some things in the game that don't sound fun. 
and I, I'm not going to go, not going to go fuck with that. So, um, I guess the last thing, well, the last thing that I have written down in the notes is to do a top three favorite bosses since we've talked yeah. about our uh, boss walls and we've talked about the ones uh, where we can brag a little bit, uh, you know. So top three favorite uh, bosses. Either one of you guys want to go first on this one? I'll go. Yeah, I'll happily go. For go. It. Okay, so uh, top three favorite bosses. I'm going to do uh, three. Uh, le- top three favorites, but least favorite to most favorite among those top three. Um, so number three is so number three is number three is probably going to be a uh, German. Um, I just think that like you know just like just like it like mechanically it's pretty cool. It's just um that kind of like you know like there there is a very 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 like you know Japanese flavoring to like you know you fight your master at the end and he's betrayed you. In and, a field of those yeah. white flowers. Yeah, yeah. In a yep. field of those <laughs> they white love flowers. their battles get, and fields get, of flowers. Yeah, 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 yeah. You you get that. You get it that looks really, so cool. You get that like beautifully sad music. You know mm-hmm. that plays in the theme. Um, you, you you get you get these really like you get this really cool tease. I didn't notice this on my most recent playthrough, but you get this really cool tease that. Uh, about the moon presence giving him aid because when he does his power up in the final phase he literally just kind of like raises up and looks at the moon and the moon flashes before he starts glowing with that power or whatever you know with his like you know super saiyan form or whatever it's just um and he's still like you know until that final phase he still fights like a human so like the the rules for like Gascoigne and maria still apply like you know it is just you know you can still stun him and stagger him and use your like it, it, it like it is it is basically a it is a finale of the kind of like you know have you learned how hunters fight type fight which i really like mm-hmm. yeah um, great spectacle in that fight yeah. for sure yeah for number two and this would have been number one until fairly recently when i did my when i had some thoughts about it um number two is ludwig um ludwig like i mentioned is the biggest wall boss is one of the biggest wall bosses i've had in the game I can no hit that first phase sometimes. Like, you know, like it is one of my favorite bosses. It is fun to fight. The first phase in particular is a real showcase of my style of gameplay where it's about min-maxing DPS versus dodges. Like I know exactly where to dodge when and go in for the punish, like just constantly breaking his limbs, you know, dodging straight through his arcane jizz, you know, like just, <laughs> yeah, j- you know, j- you know, just, you know, hitting that horseman right in the nose. Uh, um, the second phase, I am not that good at, even after all these playthroughs, and I like it reasonably less than the first phase. But that first phase, but it's still good, good the second phase, you know, when he has the sword and everything. And that first phase alone is just really, really, really fun to fight. Sorry, Moon, I'm going to have one, a hard time getting over the phrase arcane jizz. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so... Um, Number one, I doubt you either of you have fought this one. It is a boss in the Chalice Dungeons named the Thamerian Elder. Which, if you haven't seen the Thamerian Elder, look him up, at, like look up a video, or at least look up how he looks. He has the absolute sickest design, like in the game. Like it's a real fun, like kind of like dual style fight. Like he has a um, he has all. The, 
he has all he has a staff that he literally uses pyromancy to transform into different weapons. So like he can make it a spear, he can turn it into like a guts crossbow from Berserk. He can like, you know, turn it into a sickle or a scythe or a morning star. He does all this fire damage. You're basically just fighting this this ancient, like almost like Vulturian Twilight vampire, basically. Like and it, it's just it's just really fun as a fight. I recommend looking it up. And it's pretty hard, but it's really fun, really challenging. Like of all the, this could it could it is possible that I'm elevating this because of how dire the Chalice experience is. But I remember getting <laughs> to him in the Chalice dungeons and like, and that was like one of the times where I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I'm doing this. This is an incredibly fun boss, and I love it. Like, but yeah, that is probably my favorite boss of Bloodborne. Nice. The Thumerian yeah. Elder. Kind of sucks that I'll probably never fight it, but I'll have to go look yep. up a video. I looked at the design. The design is pretty fucking cool. He looks like a Castlevania boss or something like that. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he's he's like he's he he's he's like if uh he he would be like if some you know misguided Western company made a uh made you know a Western reboot of Castlevania with oh yeah that already happened I forgot <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't trying to do a bit I just forgot that happened but <laughs> he looks like the kind of like gritty Xbox 360 reboot of Castlevania Dracula but like good <laughs> okay so yeah. Jake what's your top three bosses all right so mine are similar to the levels and they have just basically they're all about the lore and the vibe the atmosphere of the bosses rather than the technical, you know, mechanics of the fight. Um, and I don't have them in any particular order. These are just my, my top three. Sure. Uh, Father Gascoigne. Mm-hmm. I just, I really like his entrance, you know, the whole beast, beast all over the shop, of course. And uh, just, I, it's a great test. It's, I really like it a lot. And it's incredibly tragic. And I like things that are incredibly tragic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, my next one is a bit of a cheat. I'm putting, uh, Garman and Moon Presence together because they're in the same arena back to back. Sure. Um. Yeah, that works. I just, I, I like that, that combination. Again, you know, like Moon said, you know, Garman getting up and you having to fight him and then, um, leading into the crazy entrance of the Moon Presence and fighting, you know, going from fighting a human to this weird alien monstrosity in the same field of flowers that whole sequence I just absolutely love. Um, and then my my last one is Lady Maria. Okay. I was worried Again, neither of you were going to say Maria. She's... Um, yeah, no. It's the atmosphere, you know, the grabbing you as you go up to her, and uh, the, the blood flying from her blade, and it, it's such a good duel-style fight. It's so good. And then once you realize, like, oh, she looks like the doll. Once yeah. you realize that, yeah. you're like, oh, it sounds uh, like the doll. Yeah. Yeah. Garman, uh, what's up, my man? Stop <laughs> crying. What do what you, what do you, what, what the hell is this? Why, why am I fight? Why am I fighting your Daikamura, Garmin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Good list. Um, my top three, I also have Gascoigne in the top three. Gascoigne's great, uh, partly for the story, like you mentioned, but also like, I don't know, you fight Cleric Beast, and Cleric Beast is like, a, you know, just a big dude, a big beast enemy. There's, there's, He looks cool, and, like, he has a really good entrance, but, like, when you fight Gascoigne, that's when you first kind of see this, like, 
negative effect of uh, everything that's happening to the hunters. It's your first kind of clue at that. So I love Gascoigne. The music in the Gascoigne fight's also really good. I uh, love it. Um, Ludwig is my second, who, I like I said, my first playthrough, I could not beat him. And so he would have not been close to my top three. This most recent playthrough, I was able to take him out by myself. And that helped me appreciate um, the story. It helped me really appreciate the music in it, especially the second phase when the music changes after that uh, awesome cutscene. And I'm actually the opposite of you, Moon. I cannot beat the first phase reliably, but if I can get to the second phase, it's very easy uh, for me. Um, But I would say I fought him maybe 20 times trying to get my solo win, and I got to the second phase maybe three times that whole time. Oh, wow. And the second phase, I don't know, a big sword is much easier for me to dodge than charging horsey. So also (laughs) that big, uh, you know, the big beam attack is if you know how to get around it, it's free, you know, a third of his health. Free damage, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Ludwig, that's my second. And then my favorite's Orphan of Costs, even though it takes me 20 plus tries each playthrough to beat him. I just love that fight. I love how primal uh, he is. The screams are you want to talk about sound design, the screams on Orphan of mm-hmm. Cross are haunting. Yeah. Um, his second phase gets kind of, it's it's a lot, you know, when he goes frenzy mode. Um, <laughs> One-winged angel. Yeah, I, I remember watching Moon stream it, and then when I was streaming Bloodborne myself, I had so much trouble beating him. Um, I, like, that playthrough, I can beat his first phase really, really reliably, um, but the second phase is just, so fast, so aggressive. Uh, it feels like the proper final boss of the game to me. And then uh, honorable mention to Logarius. I really love that fight. Um, I love him swooping in from the sky and stuff like that. Just, uh, yeah, re- on top of a, you know, snowy castle rooftop. Really, really enjoy it. So those are my top three. So... Yeah, any uh any any others we want to mention? Bosses or levels or anything like that that we want to bring up before we wrap this up? I do have a final comment I want to make that sure. about the game. Yeah. One thing I think is interesting and this was mentioned way earlier when all three of us when we were talking about how we discovered Bloodborne, we all made some variant of the comment of everyone said you had to play this, you got to play this. This is the best PS4 game, you got to play it. And one thing I remember, and I have not recently checked this to make sure I'm not forgetting or screwing up a detail in my mind, but I remember that when Bloodborne came out, that was actually the first PS4 exclusive that actually had a 90 or higher on Metacritic. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Metacritic doesn't mean everything. Like, I definitely don't sit there and look at Metacritic scores when I'm buying games. I know, like, console warriors like to sit there and, like, you know, throw Metacritic scores at each other to show, you know, that their favorite piece of plastic technology has better games. But I feel like part of... Because Bloodborne, like, if you look at the sales it made, it made decent sales, but not, like, nowhere near as many as you would imagine based on the, like, just unanimous praise it's received from people who played it. And, like, I really do feel like it's one of those games that rightfully and deservedly in my opinion like just got really stuck in people's minds because that was the ps4 game when it came out like that was the mm-hmm. top quality game 
you know, when, when it came out. And, like, that was just, that's, you know, it's just kind of, like, something I keep thinking about where, like, you know, Bloodborne kind of came in and, you know, I don't know, say PlayStation 4 from meh games or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic game. Like, you know, people should try it out. Like, I, like, uh, one one habit I've been broken of is the idea that, you know, that there's such a thing as games that transcend psychographics, right? That, like, you know, there is a game that everyone of every taste will like. Definitely not true, but if you have any kind of appetite for action RPGs or action games, like, or, like, a willingness and desire to, like, you know, maybe open your mind to something new, definitely try Bloodborne. Like, it's very good. Yeah, it is interesting to me that Bloodborne has such a high approval rating just based on how difficult it is you know all the other games on that best of ps4 list were all you know uncharted which is you know you can make uncharted difficult but at its core it's not hard uh and god of war which is more difficult than the old god of war games but it's still not it's not super punishing unless you want it to be but bloodborne is like I don't know. I think Bloodborne is harder than... I don't think it's harder than Dark Souls 3, but I definitely think it's harder than Dark Souls 1 and 2 and Demon Souls. So, like, it is interesting to me that it has this, like, almost unanimous praise while being as difficult as it is. I think think just kind of, like, removing some of those barriers, like streamlining some of the RPG mechanics, making it strictly about mostly just one defensive maneuver... Like, you yeah. know, just kind of, like, having that more, like, exciting, fast-paced combat. It's one of those things where, like, if people can see just kind of, like, apparently that something is really fun and approachable like that, I think they they might be, like, you know, more willing to really, like, just kind of, like, put in the vigor to, you know, really, like, get into the game and actually learn it, even if they're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. I think uh, another part of it is just the the atmosphere, the uniqueness you know, there's there's a million medieval games, even though Dark Souls yeah. has a lot of unique stuff to it. It's a game where, you know, you can be, and a lot of people are a guy in armor, you're a knight. You know, it's it's medieval. But how many Victorian Gothic horror swinging to cosmic Lovecraftian <laughs> horror games are there out there? Yeah, exactly. I thought you were, for a second, I thought you meant like medieval as in the PlayStation exclusive medieval. And I was no. very confused. Was I'm like, like, wait, they mean more than one of those? <laughs> like, they mean more than one of the weird, like bug eyed skull, uh, skull, skeleton man games like, <laughs> that people weirdly, that people like kept comparing to Bloodborne when the remaster came out and it blew my mind. Like, I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you compare Vampire to Bloodborne because I kind of get that but no you're not going to say medieval is like Bloodborne. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh good comparison. That's what I said to yeah. describe Vampire to people is that it's like it's You're probably the reason I tried it. <laughs> double A budget Bloodborne uh type combat. Uh that game's really good. One thing I wanted to ask you before we go is uh by the time this episode comes out, I think that uh, Bloodborne Demaster game will be out. Bloodborne PSX. Are you guys uh, yeah. gonna I'm play in. that? I'm in. I'm in. Uh, yeah. I'll probably take a look at it. I, I'm gonna play it. I'm playing as soon as it comes out. If it has the system specs of a PlayStation One game, I'll be able to play it. But if it's like a, you know, if it takes more hardware than that, I probably can't. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, well, it's well, it's sad. 
it's def- it's not a literal PS one game, right? Right. Yeah. Like, so I know. it's not gonna it's not gonna require that little grunt, but they do have like you know like like the, like there's a bespoke like original mode and like a remaster mode, so like mm-hmm. you can play it like you know at like the lower PS one style frame rate and lower resolution and stuff like that, and like probably be fine even if you can't run like you know the fancy version with super high definition and sixty FPS and all that. It's going to be going to be interesting Uh, to the best of my knowledge. There haven't been a ton of things like this for Dark Souls. Now we have uh, remember that person was making that like top down Zelda 2D Zelda type Bloodborne. uh, Oh, yeah, that's out there. That was a short fan game on itch.io. It's called Yarn Town. Yeah. And it covers basically Mm -hmm. up to the cleric base. So someone did that in that, you know, top down style. Now we have the PlayStation one. Uh, D-make style of Bloodborne. People fucking love this game. And uh, it, like, I, I know I would be conflicted if they announced Bloodborne 2. I would be, I would play it, of course, but I would also be worried that they would fuck it up. But yeah, there is, I mean, there's so much love out there for Bloodborne uh, that, like, surely this isn't going to be how this all finishes. Just, you know, no next-gen remaster, no PC port, nothing that it would be i don't I don't know how unique this would be but it would feel pretty unique to have a game that's this beloved that is just literally released dlc and then never touched again like that yeah it would be weird i feel like that kind of ties into what i was saying before too where it's like it's so beloved but like there's this huge 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 gulf between like how beloved it is and how like commercially successful it seems to have been mm-hmm. like i don't remember the amount but i think last i checked it was something like three million copies or something like that it was years ago when i looked so i don't remember the exact number but but it's one of those things where like those you know people people who say that like you know again like including including in the industry people who say that like a game is a failure of sold three million copies like they can go to hell honestly like that's, that's ridiculous <laughs> but at the same time that is the reality of how this industry look at those things and if you look at how they're the reality of the industry looks at those things like three million copies is not a lot like like for comparison near automata is considered a fairly niche success and that sold something like two million three million copies or so right so you know that's the so I, it is very sadly possible that sony just looks at it and is like oh the roi isn't there basically if we do anything else with this which is dumb and sad but they yeah. they may depending on how much of a hit elden ring is but we'll have to see yeah. um how that goes but Anyway, and guys, we'll to see what Blue Point's working on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. That we we have they, that they possibility. Work, as they, well. they will work. They will work on a uh, remaster that completely changes how it looks and sounds, but refuses to touch anything about the gameplay. And then they will call it a remake instead of a remaster, and it will make me mad. <laughs> but, yeah. but I will. But I will still buy it on day one and play it. <laughs> well, before we get into uh, territory that's going to make Moon mad, let's wrap this one up. And I just want to say, Jake and Moon, thank you guys so much for coming on the show and talking about Bloodborne. This has been uh, an episode I've been looking forward to a long time, Uh, something that I, a lot of times on the show, I am thinking like, I played this game, I want to do an episode. Anyone I know that has played it and has, you know, wants to talk about it, come on the show and talk about it. But like for Bloodborne, this is a very special game to me. So I was like, I want to make sure I pick the right guests, you know? So I'm glad to have you guys on the show because I knew this would be a good conversation. So I appreciate it. 
Well, thank you for having me on. I had a great time. Uh, feels like it's gone. Feels like I've gone full circle from uh, discovering Bloodborne, discovering Duckfeed as a result, and now like six years after I played, actually becoming a podcaster American. You know, so right <laughs> <laughs> about Bloodborne. <laughs> yeah, same. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, similar since I started podcasting, and then you know got into Bloodborne, also discovered Bonfire Side Chat, Duckfeed and stuff, I'm like, I want to podcast about Bloodborne, and finally was able to. Yeah, this has been good. So once again, thank you guys so much, and thank everybody for listening. Please, uh, once again, if you would like to support Tales from the Backlog, please, please, please uh, go on your podcast platform of choice. Leave a rating and review if you can. That will help a lot. Tell people about the show. Share it around and yeah hit that uh hit subscribe if you haven't already we'll have lots of other really awesome games coming up on the show and yeah thank you for listening we'll see you next time the next game that comes out of my backlog bye everybody <laughs>